Broadcasting from a radioactive bunker deep inside the bracket compound, this is Show Spoilers Episode 18, Westworld Season 2, Episode 6, Phase Space. I am so excited to get into this, but before we do that, let's introduce ourselves. This is Kevin Brackett, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Brad Hyatt. Hey, Brad. Hey, Kevin. How's it going? It's going great. I am so pumped. I So I watched the episode. Uh, we're recording this on Monday morning. So uh, because of the holiday weekend, we're getting ahead of things. Uh, we The episode aired last night. I watched it right as it went live. And then I rewatched it this morning. And I'm telling you what, I am so excited for what this episode tells us, for what it means for the rest of the season. Uh, the answers that we got. I mean, it just, this was such a satisfying episode. Yeah, there is a lot of information in this episode. I'm happy to have watched it twice as well. Uh yeah, there's a lot to get into. I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, before we get into all that exciting discussion, of course, we would like to ask you to follow us on all our social media, subscribe to us. You can follow us on Twitter at all the spoilers. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash real spoilers. And of course, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, if you can rate us five stars, that helps, helps people know that you're listening and helps us climb the charts so that more people can find us. So we appreciate uh, everyone that has subscribed everyone that interacts and uh, means a lot to us to know people are out there listening and we have a lot of fun doing it so let's see before uh before we get into things here i i did you go back and did you watch the beginning of the first episode of this season i didn't no okay so well it's all right it's all right i i did and it's very similar to what we see here but i wanted to go back and just make sure and lo and behold, it is the exact same conversation. This was mind-blowing right from the start of this episode. So we're, we're at the halfway point. We've seen the first five episodes of the season, and I've been hearing, even directly from people that star in the show, uh, like Evan Rachel Wood, she's like, get ready. This last five episodes is, is just going to be crazy, mind-blowing stuff. And so right from the get on this episode, we get one of those interview scenes just like we saw at the beginning of episode one this season, but it was a little bit different. So in that interview scene I, that I went back and watched, there's a little bit more to it. Uh, there's a conversation that happens before what we see here, but this picks up right toward the end of that conversation. And so what we found out is that we didn't get to see the whole conversation in episode one, but right. now in episode six with the, the continuation here, um, it starts off in widescreen. So, you know, you said it, uh, we had a little watch party for the season two premiere, and we all talked about how that opening sequence was shot in a different aspect ratio. It looked very cinematic. There was a completely different feel to it. Mm-hmm. And knowing the show, we all thought this can't be coincidence, right? There has to be something to it. And so we're going to talk about this a little bit later because this episode, not right away, but but toward the end, it unveils what that aspect ratio means, which I think is so cool. Uh, but, but sure enough, uh, we get that conversation and uh, what they are trying to lead you to believe is that this is another Arnold slash Dolores flashback, another interview. Uh, of course, season one, almost every single episode opened up with a Dolores and who we found out was Arnold interview. And so, we knew that something looked a little off and I think we even talked about it straight from season one episode or season two, episode one. I think we discussed that. Hmm. I wonder if they're trying to throw us off and make us think this is an Arnold Dolores interview, but what if this is in the future? What if this is the current timeline and they're trying to trick us and man, exciting stuff because in this, in this uh, part uh, where, you know, they do their little thing, they do their same script from episode one and uh, our, our Bernard Arnold will call him says, you frighten me sometimes Dolores. 
hours. And she says, why on earth would you be frightened of me? And, and he says again, not of who you are now, but, but who you're growing to be. You're learning so quickly. I'm frightened of what you might become. And that's where it cuts off in episode one. But here it continues on. And after he says, you know, I'm worried about what path you might take. I think I have a choice to make, something I've been wrestling with. And then she says, what kind of choice? And Bernard Old answers, a choice between the unknown and, well, an end. If you outgrow this place, if you outgrow us, what would you what would become of you i'm not sure if it's my choice to make and right there dolores flips a switch yeah. and she says no she says he didn't say that and and right there i was so excited because <laughs> this this was our theory from the get we're like they're right. trying to trick us here they they would not film this interview scene completely differently than every interview we've seen in the past if it didn't mean something else and so we find out that dolores is actually doing the interview with bernarnold yeah. and i'll tell you right now my theory is and this wasn't answered this episode but my theory is that this is an arnold host hybrid human host hybrid uh i think that this is an arnold consciousness the events of this season are unfolding and we've seen some of what's happened we've seen flashbacks a couple episodes ago of bernard obviously uh under who i think would be ford's control but stealing that uh control unit that red control unit killing everybody underground there's a lot of stuff going on here with with uh you know human hybrid hosts consciousnesses and so i'm guessing that whatever happens for the the next five episodes and what's been unfolding that this is an arnold hybrid we are not dealing with bernard and i even mentioned this theory last episode remember i mentioned i'm like i don't know if that bernard that woke up woke up in the ocean and the one that we're seeing in present day is bernard i you know it's like he doesn't have a scar on his forehead he acts differently he's very confused and out of it um and i thought i i think i even said it i'm like i think that's arnold and and what this i think proves uh because of what dolores says in the scene is no this is not another bernard host this is an arnold consciousness because what she ends up saying when when uh when bernard when bernarnold at this point says i don't understand dolores what is this some kind of improvisation and she ends up telling him you know or he asks what is this and she said freeze all motor functions yeah yeah he ends up (laughs) and she ends up saying this is for fidelity what kind of test is this fidelity where else have we heard a test for fidelity before brad and that was with william and uh jim delos in episode four and what i thought was really clever about this moment was that when they stopped the conversation in episode one and didn't show this it wouldn't have made sense in episode one but it's clearly a continuation of that interview and because we've seen that that fidelity test with william and young william and jim delos in episode four um you know, this was like a head scratcher, like, oh, God, like Dolores is doing this. Excuse me. This doing is, this test now. Yeah, uh, so cool. Like if you, <laughs> people that say that season two is boring, people that say that season two isn't as good as the first one and that they're, you know, it's losing people. I don't understand how that can be other than the fact that maybe, you know, I'm not trying to call people out, but honestly, maybe the casual viewer doesn't understand what's happening here because it is so heady and it's so complex right. and like, and, and there's so much technical stuff going on and, and characters are switching, you know, this looks like Bernard, but is it Arnold? Is it a host or is it a human host hybrid? And, and so honestly, I don't know if it's just losing the casual viewer, but for someone like us, you know, someone like the listeners and people who follow and discuss and theorize with Westworld, this is so exciting and so masterful yeah, sure. how they're, how they're pulling this off. It's, it's so exciting. So right I, from this first scene, it's, it's got us hooked. Yeah. I'd be curious to see what some of those reviews from the, the first episode we did of this season you you pulled up some reviews from some major uh major media outlets who just didn't really grasp the the 
the season premiere or, or at least not appreciated as much as, as the fans did. And um, as things start to play out and become more, as people start to figure things out, I wonder if their mentality, if it's the same reviewer, of course, um, sure. uh, would change by the end of the season. So um, I'm, I'm kind of curious to go back to episode one and see who you cited and then go like at the end of the season, see what they're saying about it. If their if their minds changed since, you know, we're deep diving into it and they're just kind of, at least I suspect that, you know, they watched the first couple episodes or whatever HBO gave them. And it was like, this just sure. doesn't have the same allure that the first season did, but it definitely does. Like it's keeping me going every week and I'm looking forward to discussing it with you every time after, after, excuse me, after it airs. But yeah, uh, I, it, I'm the same way. And I really feel like, like season one, I love, don't get me wrong. I absolutely yeah. loved it. But season two is as good, if not better, because it is building on the, the mythos of Westworld. We're finding out how this place came to be, how the company is Delos, how they invested in it, what, you know, William's journey. And, and we're going even further beyond the first season, which just is like an, an amusement park gone crazy. You know, obviously it was deeper than that, but for the most part, it's like, are these hosts rebelling? Are they going to go crazy? But this, is so philosophical and asking all these questions uh, that, that, you know, weren't brought up as in depth season one of, you know, are these hosts, uh, I think a quote that really gets me that I remember that was said multiple time in season one, uh, you know, and, and William is even told this during his first trip to Westworld by Angela, that if you can't tell the difference, doesn't matter. That's, right. that's the big question is it's like these hosts, they look like humans, they talk like humans. Some of them are even experiencing emotions or what they perceive as emotions, uh, they're making choices, or at least we know Maeve is, or, or certain she is, and the other ones seem to be. So that's still, you know, to be discovered. But uh, it's like, so if if these hosts have gone to the level where where they can pass the Turing test clearly, and they can fu- they can fool even employees like Lee Sizemore and and uh, Ford, you know, and, and and if they're able to even, you know turn these people who developed them if they're able to uh change their mind about hosts it's like well well then do we have something beyond just a robot are these are we at a point where we should not uh, put them through this torture and this torment that hosts are experiencing because they've evolved there's something past robots now they are you know are they are they human or are they on some kind of equivalent i mean again it's it's up for debate but um these are the questions we're asking this season and i love it yeah, it's so intriguing. I can't wait. We only have four episodes left. We're on the we're on the back end of it, but I'm sure they're going to be they're going to be great. Oh, this this again gets me real excited. And another thing that it does for us that we've talked about before, uh, episodes one through five have have had this back and forth where we started with the uh, you know Maeve storyline and the Dolores storyline. Then we went back over on season two to to Jim Delos and William, and then we went back to Maeve Dolores. And so they've been flip flopping back and forth. But what this episode season six or episode six of the season does is it puts all the storylines together, and yep. so we don't we don't have to pick and choose like we. We love the Maeve storyline. We love the Delos and Williams storyline. And it's like, this pulls them all together. And I have a feeling that the back half of season two is going to do that, which I'm really excited about everybody, you know, everyone's storyline converging together and we're going to get the best of everything. Um, I hope you know, so. Mike, 
my big complaint was we saw Shogun World last week, and I and I did enjoy it. But again, you can go back and listen to that episode of of the things that I wish we got a little bit more of, or at least focused more on Shogun World. But with this episode, we get exactly what I wanted with Shogun World with the rest of the stuff. So we end up getting some great fight scenes. We end up you know seeing those characters from Shogun World, but we also get Maeve, and we also get Dolores, and we also get Bernard and Charlotte and the the QA team, and so um, really exciting stuff here. But uh, this next scene we get to is Teddy, and he's rolling through Sweetwater. We know that the last episode, it was the first time we had been back there in a while. The place is in disarray, bodies all over the place. Uh, We show uh, he ends up going into the saloon, and we see the new Clementine is still, like, walking around trying to talk to dead bodies. And there's a car dealer. Like, the place is just just crazy. But uh, I like what they did with this, that Teddy sees that can on the ground that he always picks up for Dolores and it looks like he's going to pick up the can Not today. <laughs> nope. He ends up picking up a bullet. So it was a really nice head fake, but this is the newly reprogrammed Teddy. And our big question last episode was how is he going to act and function? And so we see him pick up this bullet, puts it in his pocket and he goes into the saloon to talk to Dolores, who's playing at the piano. And instantly, we we see and Dolores sees how different Teddy is from from who we're used to. And uh, you know, he's he's he says something like, you know, I thought I thought you wanted to ride at dawn. And and Dolores says that now oh, they're still getting stuff ready. And he's just like, let's get on with it, and leaves. Like, and and so she's like she's even questioning her actions and sees that this is an, is a, you know, not, not messing around down to business, Teddy. Like he is, there's something different about him. Yeah, and, the, and the way she looks at him throughout this episode is this like hopefulness that he is everything she wants now. But at the same time, you can kind of see her fear in her eyes too, as it progresses. Cause we'll get into it, uh, toward the end of the episode too. Some of the things that they talk about, but, uh, I, I kind of get the feeling that in the back of her mind, she might feel like she made a mistake. Absolutely. This is that uh, stereotypical, the grass is always greener on the other side type thing where, you know, Dolores, she, she had this sweet Teddy who would do anything for her, who would follow her to the end of the earth and wants to escape with her. And, and uh, now Wyatt's on this crazy journey. And so she programmed a new Teddy who would, do her bidding and would and would leave some of his emotions checked at the door uh but she's now realizing it's like oh wow everything that i loved about teddy is gone now and and i kind of see it as like this frankenstein like i've created a monster type thing yeah i agree completely he's so passive aggressive now too that like that look that she gives him is just oh yeah yeah it's it's great and again uh kudos uh james marsden evan rachel wood like we've we've said it before we'll continue to say it the acting on this show is top notch and they can say so much without saying anything it's all in the facial yeah her facial expressions as a host you know so you know you got to try to keep in the back of your mind that she's not well (laughs) for all intents and purposes not a human but like the emotions that she can convey at while playing a host who's programmed to like a version of a man that is no longer the same like it it, it is incredible what what she and he uh can do together yeah and did you catch in the first scene just jumping back real quick whenever she is doing the uh baseline test with bernarnold here uh when 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 arnold says what she doesn't want to hear when so just like when jim delos was saying his script that william had for him dolores knows exactly what he's supposed to say and instead of the camera being on Bernard Arnold this time, the camera is on Dolores. It just sits there on her as 
Bern Arnold's talking. And when he says the wrong thing, her eyes, instead of looking at him, like look down for a second. Like you can see a yeah. really quick disappointment in her eyes. And then she looks back up real quick. Like she's saying like, damn it, you're not getting this. And yeah. I just think that little gesture that most people might not see, but I caught it on the second viewing. I'm like, Oh, I know why she's, she's, sure. she made that little eye movement. And again, it's, it's the, it's the nuances of, yeah. of uh, actors like this that really are impressive. So uh, they go out to the train. So we know the train has been loaded up. They're trying to break into the Mesa. That is where Abernathy is. They're loading it up with the uh, with nitro. They're stripping it of everything heavy so they can get there faster. And we find out that they want that nitro to get there real fast for a bigger impact. And uh, there are two people tied up, two humans that are tied up. One is the tech that they found underground that has been uh, working with Dolores to uh, control the host that they're encountering. Yeah, the one and who the reprogrammed other one, Teddy. Yeah. Yep. And the other one is the uh, QA guy that they captured. Whenever uh, they were escaping with Abernathy, Angela was able to capture this this uh, QA guy. And they're questioning him. Dolores is like, tell us where Abernathy is. And he says, I don't know. Uh, you know, Charlotte's the boss. She could be taking him somewhere that we don't even have access to. And, and I believe him. I don't yeah. think he knows where he is. He's honestly just saying like, I, I have no idea. And, uh, and then Teddy walks up, shoots <laughs> the guy in the head and says, we'll find them. Let's go. Yeah. Like, it's just like unreal. Like seeing that and, side of Teddy. It is because Teddy's the guy that he, I mean, you've got these confederados that were torturing and trying to murder people and yet Teddy lets him go. And then on the flip side here, they're trying to question this human. This isn't even a host. This is a human. And Teddy is just like, I don't have time for this. Let's go and shoots him. And, (laughs) and, he's not the leader. Like Dolores is the boss. She's the one telling people what to do. And yet Teddy doesn't even care. He's just like, this is, you know, we're wasting time. And, uh, the look that she gives him again is just like, Ooh, burning a hole right through him. Did you see the look that Angela gave Dolores when it happened? She liked it. She gives, she gives like a little side, like a smirk and like, yeah, that's that's going to be a plot point. Cause we know Teddy's, uh, at least if the timeline's accurate, what, where Teddy's going, uh, being in the water and then, you know, in a pile later on in, in the Mesa. But, uh, you think other than the fact that I think that Teddy's going to still rebel against uh, uh, Dolores, do you think that Angela is going to be like a little plot point that uh, she might be attracted to him? Or I guess she's not programmed to. I keep forgetting that they're hosts, but, but well, she had this know. look that was like, wow, you know, that was think- awesome. <laughs> Well, Angela, I think the thing here is that Angela is not afraid to kill. And so you've got Teddy, who's been very reserved. You have Dolores that clearly will kill, but still, she's not as as trigger happy as Angela is. Like, I think Angela takes pride in rounding up these humans, killing them. She is definitely... Like she, that's all she wants. She wants rope, you know, robots to rule Skynet to take over, like kill all the humans. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Dolores is like a little more reserved as in Dolores has a plan and it may involve killing them, but like Angela's like the gun let's go. Sure. And so I think when Teddy turned that way, it, it wasn't even like, I could see it being some kind of attraction, but it's more like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, let's just kill these guys. Who cares? And so it will be, be interesting yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Uh, but anyway, we go back to the Mesa, and Stubbs is there, and he's finding some of his other QA uh, or uh, you know his uh, security colleagues, and they're shot up and dead. And Charlotte runs up and she says, "Where have you been? It's been almost a week." So at this point, we know that it's been somewhere around seven days. And of course, from our first episode, we know that it's about eleven and a half days between the massacre and the time that uh, Delos shows up and Strand shows up. So we are somewhere a little bit over the halfway point in the timeline. So it's just good to make note of that, that 
this right here is seven days in uh, or around there. And uh, it's really funny conversation that she has here. Like, I mean, Charlotte, Charlotte's another no nonsense type of person, but on the human side where she's working for Delos, their mission is to get this, uh, whatever Abernathy is carrying this package to get it out. And she knows that Delos will not rescue them until they show up. And so, uh, you know, Stubbs is like, oh, you've been hiding this device. Uh, Charlotte pulls out this communicator where she can contact Delos to, to send for rescue. And he's he acts like, oh, you've been holding out on us. You can contact them anytime. And she says, like, they were not going to rescue us until this package was secure. So, like, there's nothing we could do about it. And then she also gives him this little line. Oh, oh. And she responds to him. She says, oh, please, are you still pissed? You got picked last for kickball, too? Like, really? <laughs> really nice smart ass line yeah. and she she says it seems like if you're gonna hire a head oh he says it seems like if you're gonna hire a head of security he might need to know what it is he's securing and she says back to him you were hired to secure an amusement park good luck on your next review by the way yeah that was pretty <laughs> like, funny i love this conversation between those two like like oh it's so good and uh she ends up getting on the tablet. She contacts Delos. And just like we've seen her on the computer terminal before, she says, package secured. We've got it. And, and uh, you know, they, they, they hopefully will be sending now. And this is what we're led to believe got QA to show up because they have the package. It's secured in hand and uh, they're ready to go. So uh, meanwhile, Abernathy is struggling. He's obviously does not like being captive and he's trying to fight his way out of it. And so she's like, we've got to, get this guy secured, but you know, I don't want him walking around fighting with us this whole time. So they bring him into one of the body shops and they, they have a few guys hold him down on this chair and they nail him to the chair with like this huge nail gun, both his shoulders, both his legs. And I mean, again, Lewis Hertham, incredible actor. And like, you can feel his pain as he's being, even though he's just a host, it's like, you can feel his pain or what he interprets as pain being nailed to the chair and i thought man every time you see this guy even for small moments he really is fantastic it seems a bit excessive but at the same time like from their mentality they're just hosts they're like they're they're grunts doing work like rounding up the hosts and stuff but like elsie says something later about how brutal they are and it's it's it shows here just on a live one but like you know when they're walking into the not the cradle but i guess just the mesa at one point or whatever just yeah. harmless hosts are dead. And she's like, why are they so brutal? And, and I thought about that on the second watch when they're just nailing him to the table. I'm like, you could have tied him down or something, but they didn't care. They just boom, 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 boom. And yeah, well, you know, that's the thing that we've seen from QA from, from the higher ups at Delos. We've seen from Ford, the very highest up at Westworld. Uh, these are just things, you know, yep. he, he says, just like he says to that tech, we've said it again, or we said it before. I'll say it again. He says, this is not a person. This is a thing. It doesn't, you know, it isn't modest. It's a thing. And so that is how these people feel. And I get it. I mean, these are workers that Westworld's been open for years. Uh, every day, these people get shot up, they get killed, beheaded, uh, you know, whatever. I, and uh, at the end of the day or wherever the the team comes up and they throw them down the laundry chute, so to speak, and the dead bodies pile up, they repair them, they send them back out. I'll tell you one These, thing. So, yeah. so I'll tell you one thing. The uh, working for Westworld would probably be a lot easier in maintenance than uh, working for Shogun World with the uh, aftermath that we see <laughs> soon to come. Can you believe I know. that? <laughs> I know, right? Like. 
maybe maybe shot in the head or something rather than like chopped into parts oh my just, yeah no i i think at that point it's like they better just have a, a, a warehouse full of backup bodies and just <laughs> you know put the uh, control unit we know they can take those control units out and place them in other bodies like i think that would have to be the most efficient way to do it right probably i think we've seen them like patching up bodies before but uh they patch some up but i mean at better. some point like when you have to get the entire Shogun army back up and running, like, I mean, yeah, let's glue this hand here and this finger here, and this, you know, this head. And, oh, I put the, put the wrong head on the wrong body. You know, I mean, yeah. it would be tough. So uh, anyway, they, they nail him to the chair. And uh, I, I believe it is Charlotte that says this to Abernathy. She says, sit tight, old man. You're about to get your deep and dreamless slumber. So interesting. Uh, that is what... Is that what they tell them when they decommission them? Is that I? It that's sounded kind of familiar. I I'm not sure if that was significant in in regards to something that has been said before. But I thought in my in the back of my mind, I was like, that We've might heard be that something before in Westworld. Have we? Okay. And so I and and so I thought I thought that what that meant was that they were uh, putting them putting them to sleep or, or decommissioning them. We've clearly heard that before, yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, that could mean something else too. So I, I, I don't know a hundred percent, but we've definitely heard that. And I think that's important to note that that's the way that Charlotte worded it to Abernathy. Um, but fast forward to Shogun world. So this was the surprise because again, I thought we might be doing a back and forth type thing uh, with episodes, but no, we go back to Shogun world and I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't get a big fight because this is exactly um, about 12 minutes in is where we left off last episode. Uh, but we saw that the huge Shogun army was getting ready to attack the three amigos and, and our humans that were there uh, after they killed the leader. And, uh, it turns out we we kind of fast forward in time and everyone's bloody holding their swords clearly a huge battle has ensued the army is is dead bodies strewn everywhere uh but that's all right because we get a really good fight scene after this so i would definitely uh trade in uh one really good ronin samurai fight for you know a bunch of just random background killing so it's all right uh, you have Akane, who's uh, mourning the loss of Sakura. Uh, Maeve is having flashbacks to her own daughter. So uh, whereas I think that in the programming or in the narrative, uh, Sakura is more of a Clementine to Akane's Maeve, but um, uh, Maeve is still comparing the loss to the loss of a daughter. Right. And, that is, and, and now that they're kind of off script, that's also how Akane feels about her. So, so we're kind of mixing the narratives up a little bit here. But again, it's like these hosts are a little bit more free thinking. They're off script, so... Um, Akane ends up cutting out Sakura's heart, which was surprising. Uh, but, but I figured, okay, well, this is obviously a cultural thing, some kind of ritual and Maeve rips her sleeve off and Akane wraps up the heart in the sleeve. And then, uh, two shoguns approach them two uh, guys that are in their full armor and, uh, Maeve is able to remotely control them. One kills the other and then kills himself. So she clearly still has her, uh, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth type access with the host. Uh, and then we see a character that we've never seen before, Tanaka. Uh, he is clearly another type of samurai or ronin warrior, and he calls to his men who walk out of their saloon type of, of building in the middle of the town, and they have Hector, Armistice, and Musashi, the ronin, tied up. And so Maeve ends up saying that uh, let's let's make a tra- or he says or she says, do you want to make a trade? And she's like, yeah, I'll trade these people for your life, which I thought was was a good line. Yeah. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but, you 
know, it's like, yeah, we're not going to trade your men. We're going to let you live and walk away. And right before Maeve starts to work her, what they call magic, they call her a witch. Uh, she starts to, you see uh, this new warrior Tanaka, his sword kind of shake and Maeve is probably going to have him kill himself. Uh, but then Musashi yells at him uh, and he says, Hey, you know, if you let's, how about we have our duel? You always talk about how you're the superior warrior. Let's have this duel. And then uh, the person, and if you win, you can keep Akane. And if I win, then we obviously we can all go free. And so this is that fight, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I love a good samurai fight and, I liked how they did the kind of like the, the low frame rate, very cinematic uh, fight scene here. It looked beautiful, uh, really well choreographed, not a lot of quick cuts or anything. Uh, and uh, so uh, they have this duel and uh, Maeve does not interfere. And Akane even asks her to work her magic. And uh, this is the line that we're going to see later on in the episode too. But Maeve says, we deserve to choose our own fate, even if the fate is death. And so, you know, that's something that you want to keep in mind for later on between these two characters. Uh, but during the fight, uh, Tanaka plays dirty and he he throws dirt or mud into Masashi's eyes. Uh, but Masashi's able to fight away one of the swords. Uh, Tanaka had two swords, which, of course, if you see a guy with two swords, like that has to come into play. That's not just for, sure. for uh, visuals. And so he steals one of his sword and he's able to cut him like really intense scene where he he cuts him like stabs him underneath his armpit and he ends up cutting off Tanaka's arm and uh, Tanaka is laying there reeling in pain and uh, Musashi just lays down his sword next to him which as we know this is the you know honor before death thing the harikari where it's like you know if you don't want me to to kill you then you can do your ritual and uh, that is what uh, Tanaka ends up doing so he ends up uh, stabbing himself in the stomach and then uh still uh musashi puts a nice bow on it by cutting his head off yeah. <laughs> uh you know just for good measure you can never be too safe right, right exactly you never know when someone's <laughs> gonna wake up when a sword's still through their stomach and come attack you or something like these these hosts are crazy so good move there uh so now we flash forward to man in black so again another uh great storyline which i know is both of our favorites, or at least yeah. one of our favorites here. Definitely. And this is Man in Black, Lawrence, his cousins, and Emily, Man in Black's daughter, who we found out the big reveal uh, in that episode two episodes ago. And uh, Lawrence is talking to Man in Black, and as they're writing, says, you really want to take your daughter through here? You know, she doesn't look uh, she doesn't look much more capable than my own daughter, who's, you know, of course, the little girl. And Man in Black tells him, looks can be deceiving. And this is interesting because I wasn't sure where his mind was at I, I agree. You know, at, at first, I think that we're led to believe, like, oh, of course they've got issues. She blames him for the the mother's death, and they're not speaking. She hates Westworld and hates her father, and so. Uh, at this point, you weren't really sure what that line meant, but come to find out when, when Emily rides up, uh, she's trying to, to talk to her, to her father and say, Hey, let's go. Let's, let's just get out of here. We're not going to play this game anymore. And he talks to her as if she's Ford. He thinks this is another one of Ford's creation, yep. just like he's encountered in previous episodes. And, uh, you know, he's, he, he, he basically calls him out and, and it's pretty funny when Emily looks at him, like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, he sounds like a crazy crazy person sure. like so so he doesn't believe that's what looks can be deceiving mean that you know he's basically saying like yeah it doesn't matter if this is my daughter who doesn't look capable it's like not only do we know that she can handle herself from previous episodes but he's saying this is a host this is a killer that's been programmed so she'll be all right and uh 
you know, they, so they have this really awkward conversation where she's trying to talk to him and convince him to go. And he's still talking to her, like one of uh, Ford's hosts. So yeah, especially really her, interesting. Who, uh, who and, does it? Uh, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. I thought I was muted. Uh, to her, like he doesn't, she doesn't know that he's hearing Ford through all these different hosts or whatever. So it, it was, it was like a natural response for him to, to talk to her like that to the viewer because, right. you know, he would expect that. And that would be a Ford move based on maybe what we've seen so far with just the random host. And you're like, this is your game. This is how you're going to play it. And like, and yeah, you can see the relationship really funny. I mean, between the, yeah, him he, and Ford is, is not good. So, I mean, it wouldn't be beneath Ford probably to make a host of his daughter, especially if, uh, you know, when they'll have a conversation later about the Raj where they probably definitely have her DNA to do so. Yeah, that's really interesting. And we have quite a few uh, great uh, listener theories and reactions to this episode. And that's one of them where, yeah. where when Emily talks about her time at the Raj, could that be more than just a, a, a um, kind of a awkward uh, throwaway line to make her dad uncomfortable? Is that is that a clue into what's happened to this Emily character? So uh, we'll find out, uh, hopefully, but uh, we'll, uh, we're not quite sure yet. But uh but he says in this conversation, he says, would you really st- stoop this low Ford? You really gunning for me this hard, make my own daughter into a host. And so this is a question going back to what was it? Episode two that we questioned whenever we first found this character who we only knew as grace uh, in the credits, we thought, is this a host? Because they have that whole conversation between her and uh, Nicholas or whoever the other guy was that was yeah. there. Uh, and we thought, Oh wow, they do this test. And it's like, she's testing him to make sure he's not a host, but is she really the host? And it's, funny that this episode would actually have another character call her out for it but in my mind i feel like if the show that's this clever is calling it out i don't think she is a host like in yeah. my opinion it's just i think it's too obvious if if man in black thinks she's a host I at think this that- point yeah i mean i've always leaned on the side since that second episode that she was human um just based on dialogue and some of the and some of the actions as well but um, I mean, it's still been pretty vague the whole time. So, I, and I wouldn't be surprised either way. But I'm, I'm leaning. I've, I've been leaning towards human the whole time, and I think this episode kind of makes you lean further towards human because of the fact that Man in Black questioned it already, and that he'd be the yeah. one that she'd be tricking. Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, but you never know because again, we are dealing with human host hybrids and, yes. you know, they, they pass these tests. If they can do their, their, their fidelity and their baseline, then, uh, we just don't know. And we're going to find out later how advanced, uh, some of this technology has gotten. And so you're at the point where it's like, well, maybe you could even trick her dad. Like, because, uh, if you've somehow captured the consciousness, uh, it's, it's, it's neither. It's not, maybe she's not human. Maybe she's not host. Maybe she's one of these hybrids. Yeah. But he says, uh, he says to who he thinks is Ford, I'm still going to play this game my way. And she's, and, and, and Emily goes, Oh yeah. The only game I'm interested in playing is get the fuck out of Dodge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great really line. Funny back and forth. Yeah, yeah. I really, really love their back and forth because we haven't seen uh, man in black older William deal with his family like this. And, and it's kind of fun again to see one of our favorite characters dealing with people that are closest to him and, 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 uh, and learning about their, their, how close they are or or lack of closeness in their relationship uh so 
Uh, moving back uh, to Bernard and Elsie. So they are on their way to the Mesa themselves. They're following the train tracks, which of course lead into the uh, tunnel that goes into the Mesa. And uh, we we see that Bernard is really confident in Elsie's ability. And it seems that Elsie, where she was, of course, very skeptical in the beginning, but she seems like she's definitely giving Bernard uh, more of a chance here. And he's very honest in saying, if anyone can write this ship by sheer will, it's you. And so uh, they go into the Mesa and, and Elsie realizes that uh, uh, QA has already been there and arrived, uh, but they've shot up the entire welcome team. Yeah. And and she mentions that, like, man, like, they they even killed them. You see the black hats, the white hats all over the ground. We really haven't seen this since William getting off the, uh, you know, to the welcome wagon at the uh, at the welcome center. And, uh, you know, we, we see that she they've killed everybody. Again, we see this uh, when we see QA and Strand with uh, quote unquote, Bernard uh, and then the first episode where it's like they're just killing everybody which I totally get I mean you have a bunch of hosts running wild you don't know if if one host you know they may act innocent but they also might turn around and kill you but so at the Mesa at the Mesa though how do you differentiate if their their hosts are human well, we've seen them scan them. They have some kind of a device. Um, I would say that you know the the welcome wagon usually is in those white outfits, or they look yeah. a certain way, and then they also have that thing they can put up to them to determine. But uh, I, I I think they know. I think the okay. QA team they definitely know. I mean, they're not going to go around. Uh, you know, they've got the uh, cards. We've seen in past episodes. They've got those red cards that have everybody that's important that should be saved. And then if you're at the mesa, you shouldn't be. I mean, I think at this point they're there are not a lot of guests there. So it's like they're determining, okay, this is either a VIP employee or it's probably a host. And then they take them out. So, um, after that, uh, they go to that main control room uh, that we've seen the techs work in before with the map and everything. Elsie gets onto the computer system. She says, oh, they got the climate control working, uh, basically saying like, you know, oh, well, you know, they've let's see where their priorities right. are here. Yeah. And uh, she gets into the system and she notices that their system is interfacing with the cradle, which is very odd. And there's there's some kind of an encryption going on where where they're they're constantly QA. She can see a whole bunch of hacking attempts. Uh, and and the cradle is shutting them down, which is very odd because they say these two systems don't normally interface. Uh, Bernard says the cradle simulates park narrative but can't access the other systems. Clearly here, the cradle is influencing them, and that is what's causing this craziness to happen. But the question is why, uh, and that's what we're going to get into in a little bit. So uh, she sees all these responses. She can't get in. She says, I can see that the the cradle is denying these attempts, but I can't see why. And uh, she says, it looks like the cradle is improvising. Uh, And Bernard says, you can't access the cradle remotely. You have to do it in person. So our next stop is going to the cradle. But uh, before that, we go back to Shogun World. Before we move on to Shogun World, I've got a quick question. Did you watch it with captions either time? Yeah. Oh, always. Um, Did you notice that for whatever reason, during all the Elsie scenes, they had her say her name is Hale, like Charlotte Hale? Oh, I didn't see that. That was really weird. I want to say it's just a typo and nothing to look into. Or maybe at one point, they it was supposed to be Bernard and, and Charlotte doing this stuff before they put Elsie back in or something. But if you go through, because uh, I noticed it the first time and I watched for it the second time as well. Um, every time that Elsie talks and they, they label who's talking, like if she's off screen, they put Hale as, as who's talking. And it was... It was weird. I didn't know if it was oh, some kind of hit. I even no. had to look up Elsie's last name. I was like, surely it's not Hale as well. It's, it's Hughes. No, but okay. 
Huh. No, that's a, I mean, that's a great catch. I'm going to say based on everything we've seen and uh, everything in this episode that it's just a typo. Just a typo. I can't see how that would come into play, but wow, that is such a weird, uh, but it's every scene. I would, I would forgive it if it was one time, but every scene with Elsie where she's talking off screen and they want to let you know who's talking, it says hail. And I, I was just like, I, that surely can't mean anything. That's just gotta be a typo. Yeah, no, nice catch. I, I did not see that and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I just, for whatever reason, I didn't notice that, but yeah. no, that's interesting. Well, well have to see if they end up changing it which if it is a mistake i'm sure they'll update sure. those those subtitles yeah. uh before too long but yeah great catch so uh we're gonna jump back to shogun world though and so we know that our heroes are on a journey to go take uh sakura to the place that she mentioned snow lake snow lake there you go this is the journey that they're at uh, to go uh you know place her heart to this final resting place and so they're going through the jungle and when they get out they see the mountains it's this really beautiful scenery uh again the camera work is excellent in this yeah. episode it's just a great looking episode and uh lee points out that the only way back to the mesa is is in this chute that they use <laughs> to drop the host bodies down so of course so that the whole uh you know repair team doesn't have to come up and drive them back to the mesa they've got this series of chutes that are basically like laundry chutes that something opens up and they just dump them down there and so it's pretty funny you know lee of course knows where this stuff is in his narrative and he presses a button on the side of this pagoda and this hole opens up and then felix and sylvester go over and you know sylvester is just such a smart ass and he's looking at felix like you know after you and and i love the look that felix gives him he's just so sick of his crap but (laughs) he slide he slides down the chute and, and lands on a bunch of dead bodies like it does not look like that fun of a slide we'll just no, put it that way I mean, it's it's paint not painted but like coated in red from like the blood of all the hosts that's been down it like it's <laughs> it would be terrifying to go down in any regard even if you know you're going to be safe at the end of it yeah yeah not not a fun ride at all but uh, we cut back to uh akane and she has got of course sakura's heart tied up that we mentioned and she places it at this shrine this some kind of a ceremonial uh area and she puts it in a dish and has her version of armistice come over and she sparks uh using like her sword and a rock she sparks and uh, sets the heart on fire and uh akane is is doing some kind of a ritual and saying these words and uh letting her spirit escape back into her homeland and at this point mave is like okay we have to go uh let's let's continue on our journey and escape from here because mave is trying to free the host she's trying to give them consciousness as we saw in the last episode which akane actually rejected but she's trying to give them a life and free them and uh, both Akane and Musashi are like, no, you know, it would be coward cowardice to to run away from, you know, and not protect your homeland. And and uh, you know they have a really it's really great dialogue here, uh, and and you know Maeve basically tries to convince him like it's it's not running away if you're you know trying to preserve and and, and trying to stay alive and everything, and uh, and then this is where Akane gives her back the same quote that she said earlier, which again, I thought that was great writing and great setup, but she says the exact same thing. She says, we deserve to choose our own fate, even if the fate is death. And so Maeve looks at her, um, Thandie Newton in this entire episode. I mean, she, she's blows me away every episode, but like, this is so much with the facial expressions and she not only does she have to speak multiple languages she's of course speaking english but she's also speaking japanese she's speaking the ghost nation language yeah. like it sounds authentic and her portrayal and and her facial expressions everything um she is such a phenomenal actor and i just want to give her credit for for everything she does in this episode and of course every other one it's so good yeah i think that's a really so, uh, important line too in contrast to her i mean arguably her and dolores 
guess are the two leads of of the show and it it's a good contrast to Dolores who who uh basically forces you into like even like killing you and resurrecting you or reprogramming you or doing whatever it takes to to get you on her side while uh that that line from uh from Maeve is basically giving you a choice you know like this it is this is going to be your choice to to be free and you know and well and what's i mean again what to your point what separates a host from a human like free will decision making yeah. choice uh what separates these people who uh you know there's a it's similar. It's funny because I'm thinking of a movie that we saw also starring Fanny Newton solo. And there's, there's this just random little offshoot, but, but there is a droid who is all about freedom and freeing the droids and, and, you know, looking at them as slaves, which these hosts are slaves to their, to their human masters in this park. And so it's like, to the freedom of choice and free will and, and Maeve is trying to free these these hosts just like uh the droid was in this movie and and really if you don't allow Akane or any of the other hosts to have a choice if you if you program them if she uses her quote unquote witchcraft to convince them to do something even if she thinks it's in their best interest are you any better than the humans that are programming these hosts right, right? yeah like that that's the thing and so she looks at her and Akane is making this decision where even though Maeve did not unlock her so to speak it's like you've got this host totally off narrative and also deciding to stay which this mission has never been programmed this is not part of a storyline that Lee or anyone else programmed for and so in her own way she's unlocking herself and finding her own freedom sure. and it's through this choice so i agree this this line is so important and not only is it great writing but and a performance but it's like yes this is the root of what we discussed at the beginning of our episode here is it's like what what makes a host a host and what makes a human a human. And when the lines start to blur, when they look human, when they appear to have feelings, when they make decisions for themselves, what else is left? I mean, to, they would, you know, what else keeps them from not being human? It's like, you've got everything going except for, you know, you're more advanced, you know, which it's like, it's, it's funny. I think they even mention it in the show at some point. It's like where this, this species, these hosts are more advanced yet. They're the ones being controlled. So yeah, I, I really like this whole interaction and I think it's so deep and, and a lot of people may not see that on just the surface level viewing, but um, Maeve on her journey and adventure here for, for freeing these hosts, it's like she's, she is learning to unlock them without even using her powers because yeah. she's giving them this choice. Yep. So really, really neat moment here. Um, so we, uh, we say goodbye to, uh, Musashi and Akane. So they're staying, um, their version of armistice. I did not catch her name. I don't know if you did. I feel bad. I just, I'm not, I feel like I saw it once, but I don't remember it. Yeah. She's not focused on, I mean, her and armistice had their little moment and, you know, she's done a couple little things. So we just don't see the name come up as much, but, uh, the dragon tattoo, pardon me, the dragon tattoo uh, version of Armistice goes with them. So we at least have her. Uh, and then we've got Hector, Armistice, Maeve. And then we have our three humans. We have Felix, Sylvester, uh, and of course, Lee Sizemore. So they are going on their journey. And of course, their goal this whole season it has been is to get to that farmhouse that Maeve's daughter is supposed to be at. So they continue on their journey. Uh, and we cut back to Man in Black and Emily. And this is such a heartfelt it was heartfelt, great piece of writing here. I love this yeah. because 
you know, we talked about earlier that we don't get much interaction between Man in Black and his family. I mean, of course, we see through flashbacks some of the younger William interactions, but still, I mean, he goes in in the closest in depth with uh with Jim Delos, who is his you know father in law. But we don't get a lot of uh, William with his wife or William with his daughter, and so we we really get to see this dynamic here. And of course, it reaffirmed what we already know. We know that Emily blames her father for the death of the mother. Uh, the mother, of course, uh, took suicide. We see that flashback a couple episodes ago. She's in a bathtub. She takes too many pills and uh, just drowns herself in the bathtub. Uh, but man, this was such great writing. And Ed Harris's performance, I mean, we already know that Ed Harris is an amazing actor. Incredible. But uh, yep. he really... Uh, elevates the show even to the next level it's this, it's the same kind of performance like i gave uh, anthony hopkins credit for last season now that hopkins is gone so to speak uh ed harris has really taken over as the senior you know actor i mean again there's sure. you know we've got evan rachel wood dandy newton james marsden i mean the list goes on and on so many great performances but when we're talking about an actor who's been around for decades and is just such an expert it's like Ed Harris kind of has the seniority title on the show now. And this performance with his eyes, you know, his eyes start welling up when he's having this conversation mm-hmm. with his daughter. It's so great. And uh, Man in Black offers Emily a drink and she says, I thought you don't drink. And and she realizes, oh, I get it. You only drink when you're in here. And I'm glad that you can tell the difference. Clearly, there's a chip on her, sh- on her shoulder for uh, she knows that Man in Black is kind of adopted Westworld as his life and his family. And, you know, the real world, he is pretty much what's not important to him. He's kind of flipped, uh, you know, his priorities. And so this is another nice insight into her, you know, kind of giving him crap for that. Uh, but she, she tells her story. She, you know, man in black says, what are you doing here? And, and she says that, uh, interestingly enough, she, you know, he says that I didn't think you would come back to this place. And she's like, yeah, I, you know, I told Charlotte Hale to screw off when she called me, but I figured I would take the free trip. Uh, she mentioned something here. She says that Charlotte Hale invited her to, to do the gauntlet. Do we know what that means exactly? That's another thing um, that I caught or that I didn't catch it. But I, when I was reading up on some fan theories on Reddit, um, when they were talking about the uh, about the typos with Hale um, with yeah. with Elsie um, that we're pretty sure, and I and I didn't see this until after my second watch, so I didn't hear it the second time either. But uh, people are saying that she said gala instead of gauntlet, which makes sense. Oh. They had a gala, you know, for the for the new narrative and stuff. Okay, so maybe that was a subtitle typo. I think so. I think there were, it, it, including the Elsie being labeled as hail in the uh, in the captions. I think it was probably a a subtitle okay. typo, or a gauntlet is a thing, but. I haven't heard anything about it. And, okay. Well, good. That's, you know. I just want to make sure I didn't miss some important like plot point here. But uh, when, when she said that Charlotte Hale invited me for the gauntlet, when I think of a gauntlet, I think of doing like, doing like a full, a full trip or like, tasks yeah, or like, like you're yeah. running the gauntlet would mean like if there's three parks, so to speak, you know, that you're going to go and do sure. all three parks, that would be doing the gauntlet quote unquote. So I yep. took it as that, but that makes sense though. If there's going to be this big gala with, uh, with the board of directors and Ford retiring and all that, that Charlotte Hale would invite her to the gala. And, uh, she saw that as an opportunity for a free trip. So yeah, we'll just leave it at that. But, um, didn't want to brush over that. Cause I'm like gauntlet. I don't remember that. Right. Same here. And I saw it both times. And then when I started reading some some theories and, and some comments before yeah. today before we started 
recording today, they said that they, she said gala. Okay. Or gala. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense too. Cool. So well, I, it makes more sense than gauntlet to us right now. Absolutely. So. <laughs> um, I like this again, a great little back and forth between uh, Emily and her father. She says that, oh, it was a free trip and she wanted to go back to the Raj. I loved it as a child. Uh, I think it's interesting to point out that Man in Black says that she hated elephants and was scared of them. And then she says, no, that was mother. I loved the elephants. Uh, mother. She quotes, she was never convinced this place couldn't hurt us, clearly showing now like she was right. William's wife, uh, Emily's mother, feared this place and was never convinced that it was safe. And so here's proof. What did you make of that question about the elephants? Do you think he was testing her to still yes. see if she was a host? Okay. Well, that's well, and that, yeah, that's exactly how I took it. Because I was going to say he looks at her and he says that line. And I think that if she played along, that would prove, okay, at first, when I first saw it, I thought that he had misremembered but now i'm starting to kind of go like okay he was he was testing her and she passed yeah. the test and the expressions on her face on his face were surprised when when she updated it which could mean either way like it was like i'm surprised i forgot or i'm surprised you're actually real well here you're like here's the thing back into tim foil hat theory you know and all the crazy stuff when we're talking about hosts versus human host hybrids but so a host would not have memories of of the past so they would have a backstory that has been programmed into them but they wouldn't remember right. little tiny interactions like that now on the flip side that doesn't necessarily prove she's not a host because we know that human host hybrids with the red uh, controller, we know that they are actually accessing memories. They have all the memories uh, from this person's lifetime. You know, it's it's their brain sure. basically being transplanted. So this is either a red herring or it's another proof that she's not a host. We don't know, so we'll just leave it at that for now. But yeah, uh, leaning on the human side, still, I think that he was just testing her. But, sure. But I mean, there's so many doors open to what what this could be that we got plenty of time to figure out. But you have to remember that William, of course, he's dealt with. Um, Jim Delos, but he doesn't think it's worked, right? So right. he leaves just just recently before all this crap went down. He leaves Jim Delos, the number one hundred and forty nine or whatever example it was. Um, it still was not working to this day, and so he would never imagine that there would be one of these human host hybrids walking around because they haven't even perfected the main one they're working on. But the question sure. is, has somebody else perfected the human host hybrid? So again, I don't know, and we still don't know what Ford's game is at play here. Uh, but clearly he's still skeptical because he knows that Ford is messing with him. This whole journey is, is meant for him. So we'll see where that leads. But, uh, yeah, she has this great interaction. She says, well, this is a free trip and I I wanted to go back to the Raj. And then I realized I was old enough for the pleasure palaces, (laughs) which like just the look on his face, he tips his head down and then he looks up and gives this little smirk of like uncomfortable, but like, like, Oh my God, I don't want to hear this. No parents wants to hear about their daughter at the pleasure palaces. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, (laughs) but he says, you know, so what are you doing back here? You come, you know, you come to run back, back to your dad. And she says, is that what you think? You think I came here to climb under daddy's wing? I came here because you do not get to do that to me. Suicide by robot or whatever you're trying to pull off here. And so I love that where, again, we're, we were trying to figure out since the very first time we saw this character, Emily, in, in episode two, what is she doing here? Why is she even at Westworld? And especially when we found out that she was Emily, his daughter, like, why? Why would she come back if she hates her father and doesn't want anything to do with him? But I really like this because it develops the character and really helps support her motivation as to like, yes, she has trouble with her father. Yes. She blamed him for the mother's death, but also she doesn't want that to be her last memory of her father. She doesn't want to, 
she doesn't want him to die and then always remember like you know i i said something i probably shouldn't have said uh she even says in this conversation quote i shouldn't have said that her death was your fault it was wrong to put that on your back but you don't get to make that our final score and so i really like that that she's like yes we have our differences yes i've blamed you and we've had these bad words but also like i do not i will not feel at peace. I will never be able to sleep at night knowing that that was what I said and you went off and killed yourself and we never got a chance to, to work it out. And so I really like that. And, uh, you know, and he basically ends up saying, so what, you're, you're, you're going to try to force me to go home with you. And, and she says, no, dad, I'm asking. Uh, and so he, he ends up, you know, getting, getting emotional. His eyes are welling up again, fantastic performance, really loved this yeah. emotional moment between them. And he says, okay, so if we go, if we get out of here and, and make it out, then that means we're even. And she says, it's a good start. And he says, okay, well, we'll, we'll head out at sunrise. And, uh, you know, I thought, wow, this is really great. They're going to be together and maybe man in black is going to quit trying to play this game and, and, uh, you know, kind of change and, and, uh, be with his family. And then the next morning she wakes up, the fire's going out. There's one of Lawrence's random cousins poking at the fire and you see that everybody's <laughs> gone. And of course we know as soon as you see that, you're like, wow, man in black yeah. left her. He's it's ruthless. Yeah. He's like, I'm not, I'm not letting you take me back. No one is letting him be taken away from this journey. Like he, he finally got what he wanted. The stakes are real. He can be hurt. Uh, Ford has obviously built an entire game narrative for him. And uh, even though this is his daughter, he, it's like, sorry, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was just funny. You see that random cousin there and she looks and just, you know, this total randos just sitting there, no horses, like, like, great. What is she going to do now? After a scene like that uh, in her perspective, being, you know, empathetic, uh, it, it was a little heartbreaking, you know, because I, I, we've only seen a little bit of her, but like I believed her during that scene about wanting him to come home and and, uh, and you know, get him out of there and, and remember him the right way instead of this suicide mission. And, uh, you know, so it, it was it was funny in a way like, you know, she dropped it, she dropped an MFR, you know, and yeah, and, uh, you know, realized what he had done. But at the same time, like if you think about like what she's there trying to do and him just leaving her like that ruthlessly is like. Uh, it's a little, a little heartbreaking, but maybe there's more to, to come. They'll probably meet again, right? Oh, absolutely. This won't be their. I mean, this isn't going to be their their last interaction. But the on the other hand, when this happened, I said to myself, "That is so man in black." Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, you think for a second, maybe they, she because his performance, like you said, was great, and maybe she got to him emotionally, and and it was real. Don't get me wrong. It. Yeah. She, she, there is no doubt in my mind. She he did not trick her. Those emotions were real, hundred percent. Yeah, sure. But at the end of the day, this is his journey, and he has gone his whole life looking for something ever. since since young William came to Westworld and, you know, it started off as a bachelor party and turned into something that has been a lifelong journey. I mean, he has never forgotten about Westworld since then. I mean, he bought the damn place. Like, you know, he was just there for a bachelor party and he was able to convince his father-in-law to invest in it and eventually take over and be the head of the whole place. And, it means so much to him. And so, yes, he's has this troubled past and the wife is dead and his daughter disowned him and, and there's all this stuff. And yes, he has a chance of getting that back. But on the other hand, this has been what two thirds of his life has been Westworld. And now he knows he's close to unlocking this, this secret that Ford has set out for him. And, it's like, yeah, uh, those emotions were real and everything, but he also has a lot invested. And so, you know, his journey isn't over yet. He still has to 
you know, he still has to work his, his way back as, as Ford says, and, and, uh, you know, find himself and, and making these decisions is all part of it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. She's been hanging out with Lawrence too long. She drops an MF her and, uh, <laughs> she's on her way. So we go back to Bernard and Elsie and they are at the cradle. And so the cradle, just in case you haven't read, you know, caught how it's spelled, the cradle is actually spelled CR4 DL. So it's one of those, you know, acronyms that people shorthand call something else. So cradle is actually stands for a bunch of stuff, but, uh, just a little piece of trivia there. So they make it to the cradle and, uh, this is where Bernard starts having his flashbacks. And so I, called this from the very beginning of this episode where where i thought oh we we know once they get to the cradle we've got to see what that red ball was we've been questioning it since we saw it bernard went to that secret underground facility he killed all the humans he had all the uh drone hosts kill themselves except for that one and he took that red ball which we know is a consciousness the question has been is it in abernathy is it somewhere else is it ford is it arnold you know who is it delos who is this this consciousness and i'm so excited we're not quite there yet but we get the answer to it i'm i'm certain of it and um but we flash back to these scenes and so obviously the cradle has something to do with that red ball that he stole and uh, he says i brought something here or someone and so we get those flashbacks and elsie uh, meanwhile she's at the computer at the cradle and she again says okay i see all these responses i can see all the hacking responses and the cradle's blocking them out but i can't see who or how it's responding all i can see is that it's denying them and bernard tells her he says you can't you can't access them remotely the only way to access this is from inside of the cradle and elsie's very hesitant she says that this uh this interface is not meant for his type of host you know he has a cranium the soft skin and and uh, everything and and he still has pain receptors and you know bernard's a total badass and he's just like no time we got to get in here so uh just just the the pain is not real anyway he says the pain is just a program and uh he he straps up to this machine which is like you know We've seen it before where they cut open the host's heads and, and pull out their control units, but this is really neat. He's he's locked up and, and great performance from him. He's struggling and you know he's he's feeling all this pain or what he perceives as pain, and the machine cuts open a perfect circle in his head, and this little arm that looks like something out of a crane game goes into yeah. his head and pulls out the ball, which which is I believe now I may have seen this wrong, but after two times of watching it, I've seen that this ball is like more of a dark, like grayish silverish compared to that red control unit in his flashbacks. Is that your understanding? Uh, when I watched it the second time, I paid closer attention. When they first pull it out, it definitely is a lot darker, and I, I took notice of it. But I thought, like, as they get to the scene where they drop it into the tube, which, by the way, was like a very satisfying, like, machine. Mm-hmm. Like, the way that the ball dropped in there was just like, that was kind of satisfying. But I think... I think it was um, more colorful at that point. Maybe not as red as the ball that we saw him uh, smuggle See, in I there. think that's a reflection. I think it's oh, a reflection. It? Okay. The entire cradle is red, glowing red. And so uh, what that leads what that leads me to believe now I could be totally wrong. This is another theory, you know, and it may be a little tinfoily, but the fact that that cradle is glowing red, does that mean that it is packed full of human hybrid host consciousnesses all running through simulations? Could be. Like another thing, another thought since you got me thinking about it was that the host, the, the, the consciousness ball that he brought or that he smuggled from that last lab was newly made you know maybe it the color of it kind of fades in for some reason or another after multiple even when we know Arn, or bernard has been having problems cognitively uh throughout the season 
that maybe it's like wear and tear on on that on that ball as well, right? It's a good theory. It's it's possible, but I really think the way that they're going to distinguish between a host control unit and a human host hybrid, a, a Triple H control unit if you will is i think you're going to have red versus gray or uh in their heads okay. they have they have white the white box they're they're deposited into or they're actually red the the container for the triple h uh control unit is red as well and so i think okay. I, I think it's too important to note the color uh and so what i think this shows is that Bernard is a host. This is Bernard because we've been questioning is Bernard Bernard? Is he Arnold? Is he a human host hybrid? And so I think what this shows you is the Bernard that's going into the cradle is a host. He's got the gray black uh, control unit. Uh, but what is going to happen later on? And, and that's up in the air. But he's deposited into the computer. And he's going through all this pain, but uh, we're going to cut away. We'll come right back to that. Uh, but all we see is that he wakes up on that train, the same train that Teddy rode into Sweetwater every at the beginning of every day. Uh, he takes the number five train. I don't know if that's significant or not, but the train did say five on it. And uh, he is... Maybe it means we'll get five seasons. Ah, there you go. <laughs> I kept wondering, like, is this a simulation number? Is this, you know, I don't know. And uh, I would have to go back again and see if the train has a number normally like when they ride it in but uh, we see him get off the train into the station and uh, after that we cut back to the beach Uh, we see parachutes landing and come to find out this is the beginning of qa coming to the island Uh, we see a new qa guy we've never seen this scottish guy his name's angles right yeah i don't think so so that's interesting so we know this is about seven days about a week after the massacre uh we know that 11 days into it strand shows up with the rest of the qa team and we don't see this guy so of course people have disappeared before and we know that could mean he's somewhere else but also does that mean that angles and his qa team are going to run into some trouble because we know dolores and her crew is heading his way so i'm kind of questioning since we haven't seen him with strand is something going to happen to this guy yeah that's I have no idea, but uh, his yeah, his whole personality when he landed and started talking uh, to to Stubbs, what an a hole. Yeah, I uh, I'm not a fan of him, but uh, <laughs> well, that's another reason where sometimes when we see people get their comeuppance, I wonder if Angles is going to get his. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, this guy is a jerk. I mean, he makes fun of Ashley Stubbs for being named Ashley. He says Ashley, Ashley, and you know, and he he basically is like he does, you know. Stubbs tries to introduce himself and this guy doesn't care. He's like, where is Hale? And he says, I don't know. We're separated right now. And he's just being a huge jerk to him. Uh, and, and he's got all his men and all he cares about is the supplies. I'm sure ammunition's being dropped and, yeah, and getting all his people there. They're very carefully explained to him why we can't do this, why we can't do that. And he's like, his mission is to just, there is no such thing as you not being able to do that, get in there and do it or, you know, and yeah, it was, it was just a, uh, it's a, from a personality standpoint, it was it was rough for me to watch because I know that this guy is going to cause a lot of problems for the people who are trying to get things back on track for everybody. But uh, I think he's just going to make it a lot more difficult. He is. He's one of those, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. I mean, exactly. this, is, yep. this is a total, this is a soldier. This is someone uh, like a mercenary type. He's sent in to kill. He's He knows these hosts are the, the enemy. They're his target. All he cares about is taking them out. Uh, so... Uh, we go back uh, after this uh, beach scene, and and we see uh, uh, our friends uh, going heading to the uh, house in the country. We see Armistice, Maeve, uh, Lee, Sylvester, Felix, Hector. Uh, they're all heading and taking Maeve to where she's been trying to get to this entire season. And when she gets there, uh, she 
you know, her and Lee look over the hill and Lee, you know, Lee says something smart ass like he always does. Like, oh, not bad for a guy under duress. And Maeve says, <laughs> she says, yes, you can enjoy your one admirable contribution, which I thought was really funny. But after that comment, even she turns to Lee and she says, thank you. And Lee doesn't even say anything. And I thought this was, he smiles, he and- does, but he kind of looks at her in like an interesting way to where he, I, I don't think Lee knows how to take her because this whole time Leah's thought of these hosts as nothing more than machines. And clearly Lee knows that she has these abilities. She's able to do things, but he's never really treated her like a person, like a real person. Sure. And I feel like throughout their journey, he's more and more changing his thoughts about her uh, and, and, and he's be- and more and more sure. And so when she turns to him and says, thank you sincerely, I mean, she really means this, this thank you is not just throwaway line. She means it. Thank you for getting me back to my daughter. Thank you for helping me on this journey and, and risking your life, even though you really didn't have a choice. And he looks at her and he can't even say anything, I think, but he says it with his facial expressions. Like, man, I don't know what to think. Is she a, a, a host or is she more than that? I think he's finally beginning to see Maeve as more than just a, a robot. I think so too. Yeah, the way that he smiled was like a like surprising but grateful mm-hmm. that, like, that, she, like, that she was thankful, but you know, he doesn't quite fully understand how she could be you know, thankful to him when she's not programmed to be, but he, like you said, he's been on this journey with her from the beginning of the season and uh, and he's seen that her develop and give these other hosts these choices and and these, for lack of a better word, feelings. You know, so um, that feeling of gratefulness. That's I don't know. I, I felt like that smile from him meant a lot when when she said things. So it did. Yeah, exactly. Hector comes up to Maeve and she's and he says, "Which way do we go now?" And she tells him, "No, I've got to do this alone." And uh, you know, Hector basically says, "I'm not leaving your side." He's there to take care of her. She says, "No." She she says, "Everybody has to stay back." And and uh, she makes her way and heads down to the house. Which you know, I I was so hoping in this scene, like. It seemed too perfect. Like part of me really wanted her to find her daughter and have this great reunion. Yeah. But on the other hand, I I thought to myself, I mean, upon the first viewing, I thought if she does find her daughter, why would her daughter be sitting alone at this house? That's exactly how I felt. Every single person, whether it's Clementine, whether it's, uh, the Abernathy father, whoever it's been, when when a host gets sent to a different part of the park, they're always replaced. So the daughter isn't going to just be a, you know, a 10 year old out in, the, the wild west hanging out by herself so i just thought oh this will be too perfect if Maeve shows up and the daughter says mom and they have this beautiful reunion like you want her to because this is her journey but also it would feel a little cheap because you know how could it exactly. how could it work out that well so anyway i just had a bad this, feeling about this <laughs> yeah this scene played out exactly like i thought it was going to um the the, the whole dialogue between her and her daughter like it was a, it was a clever way to get them on the same page where she's thinking that the daughter's talking about losing her mom so long ago, mm-hmm. but she's talking about her dolls. Yeah. And then, you know, when, when that lady shows up or the, the new mom host shows up, you know, it, it just, it, it's everything that I thought it was going to be. And then of course, of course, ghost nation shows up to, excuse me, uh, shows up as well. And, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know where it was going to go from there, but I knew, like you said, it was too good to be true for for like Maeve to get that that closure or that return to what what she remembered. And I I wouldn't want it to be that neat. I wouldn't want it to be tied up that nicely. Uh, I think ultimately, I really do feel like Maeve is going to have a happy story. Like I want her to make it on the end. But at this point in her journey, it, it would it would it wouldn't. It's not what I want. I want to see 
I want to see her continue the journey and, and maybe work a little harder for it just because again, it just would make sense. So I'm glad the writing was on point here. Um, but this is, this is a really interesting thing I want to point out. And I don't know if a lot of people caught this or really gave it much credence, but before she goes down, before she has this moment with her daughter, who she's been trying to find, they cut back to the man in black and Lawrence and his cousins. We're now down to the magnificent five. There were seven of them, but of course, Emily and the random cousin was left behind. So you have the five of these guys riding with the extra horse, which was Emily's and they are attacked they are attacked by ghost nation. You have hosts and you have humans. You have William, older William man in black, and you have Lawrence and his cousins. So we know there's a combination of hosts and humans here. And we've seen how ghost nation treats this situation when Maeve and Hector were walking along the Creek and, uh, with Sizemore and ghost nation shows up and says, you can continue on your journey, but he does not belong and they want to take him. And of course, just like Emily, they took stubs and, and others and they freed them. They weren't killing humans, but at this point, I don't believe Ghost Nation, if they were along that same group, if they were on that same journey, I don't think they would have attacked Man in Black and his co- comrades at this point. And so I think that the editing, I don't think this is random. I think the show wants to tell us something here. And I don't know if this is making you, you know, they're trying to trick you into believing that this is the same Ghost Nation that Maeve encounters in the next scene. Or are we supposed to think this is either a an offshoot or a different tribe of of ghost nation or different warriors or b is this a different timeline or a different scenario again these are questions i don't know the answer to it yet but geez they ran right up to each other and again ghost nation immediately attacks man in black he kills one of lawrence's cousins shoots an arrow right through his neck and then in this next scene that we were just talking about it flashes right back to them uh, Maeve has this moment. You already said it. She finds her daughter, uh, but the daughter doesn't react like, hey, mom, like, you know, you would hope she wouldn't because it wouldn't make sense. But she, but Maeve says, what are you doing there? I'm playing with my dolls. What are their names? And she says, you know, the doll doesn't want her mom to be taken again by by the bad man. So we're supposed to wonder what that's all about. But clearly she has had her family taken away from her at some point. She remembers that. Uh, but But then you know, this heartbreaking moment comes the one that we were expecting when a woman says, you know, can I help you or excuse me? Hi there. And Maeve turns around and sees a new Maeve, someone that looks very similar to her. And uh, the little girl says mama. And so clearly just like we would think, just like with Clementine and Abernathy and all the other hosts that are replaced, you know, uh, Maeve's daughter her mother has been replaced. Maeve has been replaced with new Maeve. Uh, but this is the point where ghost nation shows up again and ghost nation does not kill the mother. They ride in. Maeve is very scared. She, she sees flashbacks of when ghost nation attacked her and her daughter, in this same house. Uh, this was the scene. If you remember also that, uh, the ghost nation warrior is looking in through the windows. And then when he comes through the door, it's man in black. So that's obviously man, uh, Maeve going through multiple memories of this timeline of this, uh, story. Uh, but, uh, the ghost nation does not attack the, the mother. They, they kind of ride around her and run past her. Uh, why would they shoot an arrow instantly through man and black's friends or Lawrence's cousins, but then ride up and just circle the mother, right? Like it doesn't make sense if these are the same people with the same goals. So that's the first thing that kind of felt off to me. And then do we think that that might've been like a quick cut before they did anything to the mother? Cause I think in the Mave timeline, they, did they take her or, or like when she was, when, the Maeve that we know now was in that story loop 
Like, what did the Ghost Nation do with them? Well, that's the head fake. She's running away from them because she remembers memories of Ghost Nation attacking and killing her and her daughter. I don't believe we see it, in, like, specifically, but clearly that's what she's remembering is those terrible times of being slaughtered by Ghost Nation. And so yeah. that's why she's running away. But again... I, you see ghosts, you see these warriors, whether they're ghost nation or whatever, but you're led to believe that ghost nation is up on a hill and they shoot an arrow. No questions asked. They attack man in black Lawrence's cousins and instantly shoot an arrow through a guy's neck here. They ride up and just ride around these three characters. To me, that doesn't check out. I think there's something more to that. So I don't know exactly what yet. And I haven't analyzed, you know, every little detail or said, okay, this guy that shot him is this character and he shows up here. Uh, but something tells me that these are two different groups of Ghost Nation or okay. Native American warriors, two different agendas. Um, one of the oldest Ghost Nation hosts, you know, the, the leader of Ghost Nation, he we know is one of the oldest hosts because he was at that meeting in that flashback with uh, Logan, with Logan yeah. whenever uh, Westworld was trying to court Delos to, to buy them. And so this guy we know is on a mission where he's not killing people. He's not killing hosts. He's trying to save humans as far as we've seen. And he's trying to, you know, help hosts along their journey, whatever. He's not a, he's not just going around killing people. And so my question is, are these two different groups or are these two different timelines? Are they both the same people at different times before their awakening? Um, I don't know yet, but just pay attention to that because I do think it's important. Yeah, for sure. Maeve and her daughter, they run away. Uh, She grabs her hand. The daughter's running for her mom. Again, we don't see the mother die or anything, but she's back near the clothesline and back with a few of the Ghost Nation warriors. And, uh, you know, they're trying to escape. Maeve trips over and falls and the Ghost Nation guy comes up to her. Meanwhile, Hector and, and Armistice are all in the background. They're like, oh, crap, what's going on? And so they go to help them uh, where the humans are just kind of left back. And so, you know, we're going to see what happens with them. Uh, but but uh, they're, they're still trying to escape. And they cut back to uh, Felix and Sylvester and Lee. And uh, Felix is like, we got to do something. We have to help them. And Lee is sitting there and he pulls out that communications device. And, uh, and, and, and Felix says, we've got to help them. What are you doing? And Lee says, I'm calling for help. And, and he says, what, for who? And he says, for those of us who are tired of having arrows shot at their predominantly mortal heads. And, you know, at this point in time, we've talked about Lee's growth and, 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 and how we've come to like him more and more. And, and, you know, he was pretty much just a jerk and an a-hole in the first season, but it's like, I've got to tell you, do you feel like that was like a step backwards? No, I, I, I was going to say the opposite. Actually, I get it. I get it because you've got these humans here. The thing is Maeve, uh, Hector armistice, they can all be taken out and they can all be reprogrammed. We know that QA based on what they said in the last episode, we know that QA is trying to fish these hosts out of the water. They're trying to salvage what they can. Uh, Strand says, let's see if we can reboot them and get them back in working order. The point is, even though they've rebelled and done all this stuff, it seems like Delos is still going to try to salvage and reuse these hosts however they can, which means Maeve, Hector, Armistice, they get shot up, they get killed. Guess what happens? They get rebooted, they get back out there, or they're decommissioned, whatever. But, you know, it's these humans, these three humans that we see here, they get killed and they've been running away dodging arrows and bullets for a week now uh, and and seriously have been super close to death all along the way. It's like, I get it. Lee, Lee has been helping Maeve, but I feel like he's gone above and beyond. He's risked his life. And even though he maybe has changed his opinion of her 
and maybe likes to help her get to where she's going. It's like, he still is very mortal. And he sees this, these ghost nation warriors who have on multiple occasions, either tried to kill them or he thinks have tried to capture and kill him. So it's like, I don't know. I sympathize with him. I think, I think Lee is doing what any rational human being would do. And I don't think it makes him a bad person. No, I don't think he's a bad person at all. I think I felt at that moment that when, that moment he had with Maeve beforehand, before she went down to the house to, to meet the girl or hopefully the girl, you know, reunite with the girl. Um, you know, that moment, that smile where he was like, you know, it felt good, you know, that he was helping her achieve this, even though he might not fully understand it because, you know, she's a machine to him. Um, but the fact that like he was sitting back there and they were going through trouble after, you know, after all they've been through. And of course he's been going through it uh, involuntarily. But um, I felt like it was kind of more selfish. I, guess. I mean, I understand it's for his safety, him and, and Sylvester. It was interesting me, to me that Felix, like I, th- I thought that uh, Lee would kind of go the route that Felix did, where he genuinely wanted to go down and help them. Like It, it kind of surprised me that Felix, who was kind of roped into this on uh, – when he didn't want to, you know, he was just a, a tech, you know, who repaired bodies and worked at things down at, at the Mesa before he got roped into it. But he genuinely is like, we have to help them. And, you know, Sylvester is not going to be one that goes down there to help them. And I thought Lee would be kind of more like on the Felix path than than the guy that's just going to call to get, you know, radio for help and get out of there. Yeah, exactly. I know it's, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, the thing is you've got these humans that are going through this terrible situation. Again, they're used to, these are the people that fix the hosts. They, they are killed every day. They repair them. They throw them back out there. It would be hard. It would be really honestly hard for them to wrap their heads around consciousness, uh, them making their own decisions. And again, they've, they've taken this journey with these hosts and their eyes have been opened. And obviously Felix feels differently than he did on day one. Sylvester just cares about himself, whatever. I mean, he's, he's the comedic relief. He just wants to get the hell out of there, but Lee's the one on the border. And the thing that we saw earlier really was where we questioned like, wow, is Lee coming around? But it shows you at the end of the day, he's just not quite there yet. And again, I, like, yes, do I want him to help these characters? I mean, I love Maeve. I, I really would, would like them to, to succeed on their journey and all that. And so, of course, I want him to help and everyone to help. But at the end of the day, it's like, I get it. These these humans, are, you know, they want to stay alive. They've got one shot yeah. at staying alive. And um, I do get his reservations. So I think this is also probably a little bit of a head, head fake. I mean, this show is really good at twists and turns and surprises. And the writing is so good. But at the end of the day, I could see a trope coming through where it's like, oh, Lee was coming around and he's going to come through when the moment comes. Oh, Lee's just old Lee, the jerk that only cares about himself. But then (laughs) in the next episode or the next two episodes, Lee maybe sacrifices himself or or saves them and comes around. Like, I really feel like he's going to have a redemption arc. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, he's been not predominant in the whole season, but like he's been there. And I feel like every time that he's there, he's been significant. Uh, or, or there's something of significance that that is gonna it's gonna play to by the end of the season. Like they wouldn't spend so much time on him as comic relief, and you know at times with with th- some of his lines, which are funny. But I think that he uh, 
he he's a lot more important than we know i guess is what i'm trying to say but maybe maybe not absolutely no no no. don't count out lee yet i'm telling you right now i'm just just a prediction and this isn't based on evidence in the show i'm saying just based on writing and and stories that we've seen so many times i really feel like this is going to be a redemption arc for lee he's going to pull through and i would not be surprised again if lee lays down his own life for Maeve, showing the full you know, his full journey and his character arc coming around from this guy that doesn't care about anyone but himself and thinks these hosts are just robots and screw them to actually laying down his life for and sacrificing himself for this cause that he has come to believe in. So we'll just have to see. Yeah. So we cut back to Maeve and, and she's very scared. Again, she remembers that flashback. She remembers ghost nation riding on her in the house. And so she is just trying to do whatever she can to get away. Uh, and meanwhile, Hector armistice, they are starting to fight these guys. And I felt bad actually for ghost nation at this point, because I mean, I know that our, you know, our friends and this crew, the amigos here, like they're trying to save Maeve and, and protect themselves. They don't know what ghost nation's goal is here, which it would be great for some more communication, but like, <laughs> you know, they're killing ghost nation, but ghost nation again is not just shooting arrows and, and trying to murder these people. So like, I feel like they're taking out the good guys, you know? So I kind of feel bad for them at this point. Um, but that leader, again, one of the oldest hosts, the leader of Ghost Nation says, come with us. And uh, Maeve, uh, he says, we are meant for the same path. And Maeve is looking at him you know, very dis- disapprovingly. And she says, your path leads to hell. And so you know, he, he's, he's looking at her just like, oh, come on. And, and all of a sudden, Hector and Armistice come up and they're shooting all his guys. So he rides off. Uh, so we never really get what his agenda is. But, but again, I really do feel like these are the good guys here. So yeah, there's something going on that we don't have all the answers to yet, but we've, we've talked about in past episodes with him possibly rounding up the humans and maybe like the man in black is, is, so I got all kinds of thoughts racing through my head based on what we talked about before, but, uh, with Ford's narrative, you know, for the man in black and like, maybe he's protecting the humans because they've, they wanted Lee that one time that they saw them three or four episodes ago. And, and she wouldn't give him up or he wouldn't go with them. And, mm-hmm. and at this point, it, it's interesting, though, because um, they, he told that to Maeve, who we know is not at least, you know, she's a host, but maybe, you know, you know, sentient enough to that he mistook her for for a human. If that's what they're doing. I don't think so. I think he knows. I feel like Ghost Nation knows the difference. I don't know how yet. I don't know why, but I do feel like Ghost Nation knows because remember they said, you know, we need to, we need, you'll let us pass. She did her Jedi mind trick thing and says, you'll let us pass through here. And he says, you two can go as long as you stay on this path, paraphrasing here, but he has to come with us. So like he knows. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. I think so. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm trying to think of why, because, because when he says that line to her about, we are meant for the same path. Like he says that to her and her daughter. Lee's not anywhere nearby when he says that line. Uh, in this, it's the other episode. Yeah, yeah, it's the other. But episode. they're the st- they're still the same people, though. This is the same guy that told her that earlier. Which, I mean, if he knew it back then, there'd be no reason why he couldn't tell hosts and humans apart. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, if if he was talking to her as like as the group and not just her right yeah okay okay so they get away there at least for now and so we'll have to see what happens with the whole ghost nation thing but uh we're moving on to uh back to teddy dolores angela and uh that poor poor uh tech that they brought along their journey yeah Uh, this is this is something i didn't pick up on my first viewing but on the second 
viewing. Whenever Teddy drops down to grab that can of condensed milk that he always hands to Dolores, but he picks up the one bullet, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that he held on to that one bullet that whole time. Yep. And he ends up giving it to the tech and he hands him the gun. And and I just was like, oh man, that's so crazy that he, he picked that up and held on to it. And, and it was for this guy the whole time. I just, I yeah. thought that was that was great. But uh, they're heading towards the Mesa and the train is picking up steam. And uh, this is where uh, Teddy, like I said, he goes up to this to this tech. And this is the last of my mercy. You better use it fast. And at that point, it's like, oh, man, this poor guy, like similar to the way that Felix has been carried around. And, and you know, he's been helping Maeve this whole time. They picked up Sylvester, who, of course, I don't feel as bad for. But, you know, it's like they've been doing everything they can to help. And they've been keeping these people alive and saving them as long as they can. And you just see the complete difference, uh, the the caring for humans from this side of hosts, from the Dolores, Teddy now, and Angela, uh, the Wyatt crew, if you will, yeah. like their total disregard for, for human life, where it's like, man, this guy has been helping them and doing everything they want the whole way. And come to find out, they leave him. They don't have to. They could have taken him off the train. They could have thrown him off. They could have taken them in their train car with them. But no, they lock him in the first car of the train, which is attached to the the train engine and they they give him the gun and the bullet and yep. teddy says this is his mercy basically saying kill yourself now before you have a worse death and they uncouple yeah. their train car back the next one back from the one he's in and they let him crash at full speed into the mesa tunnel and it's like damn like I don't know. I just, I felt so bad because yeah, this is another human again, just like a Felix. He's their version of Felix. And yeah, they just do not care at all. As we've, as we've seen from them, they kill, they kill instantly. They don't have any regard for their life. And, uh, I don't like this Teddy. And, and yeah, and that's the thing I was just about to say. And it's like, furthermore, we expect this from Dolores Wyatt. We expect this from Angela, but we don't expect this from Teddy. And he killed the QA guy. And now he's, he's basically instead of saving this guy, he's, he's let him either kill himself or crash into the Mesa. And it's like, Jesus, this, this Teddy's gone. I mean, just like we said, Dolores is gone and, you know, might be he- hidden in there somewhere, but it's like, Teddy's gone. This is, this is the new, uh, new, uh, not new and not improved from my standpoint, Teddy. And, and yeah, <laughs> not at all. I do not like it. So I'm, I'm anxious for him to, to return back to his old programming, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's the way into the Mesa. So they're crashing it. Uh, that's where we leave it. This episode, uh, we don't get to see them make it into the Mesa, but I can only expect, and again, haven't watched previews. I don't usually watch them week to week. Oh, I watched the preview this week. <laughs> okay. I am guessing, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I am guessing that everything's going to come to a head that we're going to see this crew meet up with uh, Stubbs and, you know, QA McGillicuddy, whoever this guy is, and that we're going to see some action go down in the Mesa. Is that, am I on the wrong or the right track at all here? I would say so. Okay. There, there are some clips. I'm not going to go into detail. I mean, um, I know this is a, a spoiler show, but uh, we try to keep the, keep the new episodes fresh for that. Yeah. Cause we haven't seen those yet. And some people may not like to watch it. I'm just, my guess is that the next episode is going to be about this because we see that they've now, I mean, for for as, as far as we know, they've penetrated the Mesa with this explosion. The nitro has exploded yep. with the train, and it's like the the only thing to do next is for them to attack, and then eventually, by the end of the season at least, we're going to find out why you know hundreds if not thousands of bodies were face down including teddy i mean we know teddy is with dolores and her crew we know they're breaking into the mesa and now we know teddy's going to be face down and dead with with all the others so in between there we've got to find out what happened at the mesa and and i'm hoping we don't have to wait long i don't think you will we did skip over a line at the at the last scene where uh 
Teddy was being, you know, ultra passive aggressive with uh, Dolores again, like he was at the beginning of the episode where uh, she said that I never thought you'd want to, or I never thought I'd want to leave Sweetwater, but I suppose you fixed that too. Yeah. So there's there's some kind of resentment in him, like, and he's he's acknowledging that he knows that she did something to him. It's it's weird that he knows that she reprogrammed him or did something to him. Well, and and he labels it as fixing. So I, I feel like there's some kind of resentment and passive aggressiveness there that's going to lead to that that fateful demise for him that we saw in the premiere. No, absolutely. And and I and we may not have touched on this, and, and I'm sorry that we didn't earlier, but when Teddy was rebooted and we were all waiting to see what kind of Teddy we got, we 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 told you that he was down to business. We told you that he was cold. That you know he was he was very much like let's get going, let's go, let's go on this mission. But what we didn't mention was that it is clear that Teddy has memories. He knows what's happened in the past. He knows specifically that Dolores rebooted him and fixed him. Uh, and so yes, it's very clear that there's a resentment resentment here. Teddy is very bitter. And yes, Dolores was looking at the last time because every morning, every day when Teddy rode into Sweetwater, he took the train that left from the Mesa to Sweetwater. And that's that scene of him again and again getting off the train. And here it is, Dolores is looking out the train saying, you know, how many times have you been on this train and, and ridden into town? And 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 just like Brad said, it's it's like, yeah, he he clearly is says, oh, and you fixed that though. And so Teddy is not, it's not like they you know, wiped him clean. It's not like they just gave him a new character. Like, like, you know, I believe that Wyatt is a different narrative and a different character that Ford programmed. And yes, Dolores is still in there somewhere, but Wyatt is actually a new character. This Teddy is not so much a new character as he is uh, different. He has different attributes, so to speak, if that makes sense. And we talked about it last episode. I didn't see like attributes getting tweaked like we've seen in the past. It was this kind of a new programming. But the way that I take it based on his actions is whatever program they uploaded to him was just fixing his personality. But yeah, I mean, Teddy knows what Dolores has done. And uh, I, I do have a feeling this is going to come to a head and I'm, I'm a little bit worried for Teddy. I mean, I know where he's going to end up, but the, que- <laughs> the question is though, is it at Dolores's hand or is it at him accomplish- accomplishing the mission or is he going to sacrifice himself and rebel against Dolores? We still don't know how he ends up there, why he ends up there. Yep. So it'll be, it's going to be interesting to see. It yep. will be. I can't wait. Uh, so yeah. So moving back to the Mesa. So uh, we've got a couple more scenes here before we wrap up and get into some inner uh, interesting uh, questions from the listeners but uh we go back to the mesa we see the the new uh you know jerk qa guy uh he's talking to one of the techs there and the tech is like oh yeah uh you know it's crazy we've 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 been able to fix the map and we've got these things fixed and and this guy instantly is just just doesn't care and and he says he says a really funny line he says something like uh well have you oh that's great hawking did you shut off the killer robots like you know basically (laughs) saying yeah that's great that you've got the map and you've got this other stuff working but yeah the we're here to to stop these killer robots and so you know he's just just being a total jerk to these people hale shows up and and uh this guy angle says "Do, do you have do you have the package and she says he's in op room three and you know, he says, you left him alone. And of course we know he's not going anywhere. She says he's not, he's not leaving anytime soon. And so he sends for a few of his guys to go get him. Uh, but meanwhile, we look at the map and they see action going on and it is the train heading straight towards the Mesa. 
And so we cut back and we, we see the other car and we see that that train and, and the car that the one tech was in, you know, I don't know if he's in there or if he killed himself or he escaped. We don't get to see that part, but clearly that train and that car he was in crash in and cause a huge explosion with that nitro. And everyone that's inside the Mesa feels it. And we cut back over to Elsie and Bernard, uh, who is hooked up to the machine. He is not conscious at the moment. He is inside of the cradle simulation. But uh, Elsie feels the rumbling and the shaking from the explosion, and she hears it. And is like, what the hell is that? Uh, but we cut back to Bernard and this is the last scene. And, and again, there's that widescreen aspect ratio. We know, again, I am a hundred percent confident. That this means that the conversation going on in the first episode of the season, the, the same conversation we see ended in the beginning of this episode is going on in the cradle. It's a simulation. That's what the widescreen aspect ratio means. It means cradle simulation. Uh, just real quick. Are you on board with this? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So I think that all this is happening. The Dolores that is, is actually interviewing Bernarnold, which who I believe is Arnold. I believe that that is a simulation. That's a simulated Dolores interviewing Arnold's consciousness, trying to get Arnold uh, to pass the fidelity test. And they are creating an Arnold human host hybrid. But anyway, that's speculation. We'll move on. Uh, so he's in Sweetwater. We see Bernard. Uh, we see you know, Bernard, uh, his consciousness in the simulation walking through the town. Uh, everything looks normal like it did in the beginning of season one. There's no dead bodies. It's a simulation. Like I'm, I take it as this is how Sweetwater should be in the narrative. Yeah. You've got no the- guests, just the regular day to day. Yeah. The townspeople are walking around. Yeah. The people, the sheriff, the whoever's usually walking around the town. We see Dolores. She walks out of the saloon carrying her knapsack with the, the condensed milk. So she's going on her journey. Then we see a dog run through town, a familiar looking dog. And then we see, we see Teddy exit the saloon. And of course we know Teddy's going to go talk to Dolores. Her can's going to fall. He's going to pick it up and, and say, I told you I would come back, do that whole thing. And then we see Bernard enter the saloon. And yeah, as soon as I saw that dog, I'm like, wait a minute. Yep. We know that we know that dog. Yep. We've seen him before. And he walks into the saloon. And so we, we look in and the saloon's going on. Everything's normal in the saloon, but we get kind of a blurred out, figure playing the piano in the background and it appears to be a gray haired man. Yeah, that's when I do. And, and we look down to the side of the piano and that dog is sitting at the side of the piano and the camera pans up and who is there in the reflection of the piano? That would be Ford. Oh my gosh. Sir Anthony Hopkins. Hello, old friend, he says, and it cuts to black. Yeah. I mean, this is so good. So right away, here's my thoughts and tell me if you're on board or if you have anything to expound upon here, but I believe, so we know that Ford's consciousness. Now Ford is in the cradle. Yes. The, the cradle Elsie has already told us the cradle is somehow interfacing, even though it's not supposed to, it's interfacing with Westworld. Mm -hmm. It's rejecting the QAs. It's, it's overriding things. She said, I can see it happening, but I don't know who's doing it. Clearly Ford is doing it. And so, I am led to believe that the red ball, the red control unit that was printed when when Bernard killed all those people and hosts, I believe that was Ford's consciousness. And he says today in this episode, when he goes to the cradle, he says, mm-hmm. I've been here before. I brought I brought somebody here before. I think that means the red consciousness ball. I think that was Ford. Mm-hmm. And that is how Ford is controlling things. And I think that I think this answers those questions, at least. And uh, I, I, it's just mind blowing. It's like all our theories of how is Ford talking to the man in black? How is he interfacing with all these people? I think this is our answer. And I think it proves that a lot of our somewhat crazy sounding theories were true. And uh, I believe Ford is really dead. I think 
you know, just elaborating on it. I think that Ford at, at the massacre, I think he's dead. That was his body, yeah. but he has a consciousness. He, he was able to capture the same way that Delos did that consciousness. And it may, you know, it still has to be proven yet whether or not he can live outside of the cradle. But, you know, even though he doesn't have a body, he has his full thinking consciousness and is running the show and pulling the strings from behind the scenes. And it's like, wow, that's, that's it. Yeah. And the way that he's coming in and out of host, uh, is kind of explained by Elsie earlier in the episode when she, or Elsie or Bernard, one of the two in the credo, when they said that this is a, you know, it's a living, like every host data, you know, is, is cradled here for lack of a better term. And I think that he be his conscious being inserted in there and whatever programming he's done, he can just weave in and out of wherever he wants to be within the, within the hosts at Westworld. And that's how he's talking to the, to the man in black. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, what you were saying and what, what Elsie was saying was, yo, the, the cradle is a simulation. All that's supposed to do is simulate narrative. So they go to the cradle, they simulate it when everything works right, when the narrative looks good, the storyline looks good, they run through all these different tests and they get the data they want. They can then download the the data from the simulation into the hosts. They, you know, they take the little balls out of there and they put them into the control units in their heads and they're off to the races. They do their thing. So the the cradle simulation is not supposed to talk to the rest of Westworld and the right. control room at the Mesa, but we already know from Elsie that it is. And so mm-hmm. if it is interfacing with the rest of Westworld, yes, that's the live host. That's, that's everything going on in the real world at, at Westworld. And so, yeah, Ford, if he has that interface going on, he can just instantly jump into everyone's programming. And this is huge because, you know, we weren't sure if we were going to see Anthony Hopkins. We've seen him through the young Ford host. Uh, we've, we've seen him talk through, uh, what was it? Someone at, at the bar in Lawrence's town, was it? Is that the second time? He talked to uh, Lawrence's, uh, through Lawrence's daughter. Through Lawrence's daughter at the town, yes. And so, yeah, he can jump in and out. And the question I had was, are we going to actually see Ford? Is he going to be a, a host? Because a lot of people speculated that Ford died. The real Ford died back then in the season finale of season one. But where are we going to see him in host form? I'm not sure if we ever will. But the fact that we get to see him looking like Ford, you know, just like Bernard looks like Bernard. Within the simulation. Yeah, it's yeah. it's really cool. So I hope that... Uh, and it was shot really well, too. The way you know, he, he didn't, like, turn around and look at him or whatever it was through a reflection on the player piano which i think is a metaphor for uh the fact that he's you know playing this out you know and like he's playing the player piano which is well the player piano is automated and so Mm -hmm. the hosts are automated on their own loop and we see that the host day at least in season one with sweetwater always started with the player piano right and so i think that was a metaphor for the hosts and now we see in this simulation of the whole sweetwater thing we see him playing the player piano right his reflection is is in the piano so he is the piano so to speak and so i do think that is a good metaphor that you're trying to say for him playing yes. hosts so much better at explaining things than i am no 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 <laughs> I, I totally got your train of thought everyone knew what you're talking about so that's how the episode ends mind-blowing i watched this thing two times yep. like i said both times it flew by even the second time stopping to take notes i still was just like so into this episode i would say probably i'm, I'm grading on a curve here but the last episode shogun world as as good as it was as exciting as it was it still felt like it was missing that something and probably was my least favorite episode of the season still good but you know maybe like a b minus for me in the scheme of things and this episode was so good so satisfying 
I think especially with our theories that we had of the red ball, the consciousness, who was it, you know, is Ford pulling the strings from behind the scene? How is that working? Um, there were so many payoffs in this episode. We got to see Maeve reunited with her daughter, even though it didn't go as she would have hoped. Yeah. Uh, we got to see William. We got to see Dolores. We got to see new Teddy. So we got to see Shogun world. We got to see a great uh, samurai fight. I mean, this episode in less than an hour, just under an hour of, of airtime for the show. Um, it packed in so many things, but spent enough time to make each moment we had with our characters so satisfying and and uh, i really was blown away by it and it got me more excited for next week than i think i've been even the rest of the season like i am so pumped to see where they go with the mesa attack and the assault by dolores and also bernard in the simulation with ford like what on earth is going to happen next yeah i felt like uh it went by a lot quicker than the past couple episodes um uh, which isn't i I don't mean it in a bad way uh, because they covered so much gave us a lot of answers and i i thoroughly enjoyed it and I, I would agree. I liked it probably more than Shogun World last week as well. Um, but I do like when they when they focus. Uh, it, it's like it's like half and half because I, I like the stories when Man in Black and Young William are are there. But I didn't like waiting week to week. Sure. Um, with their episode on episode four, you know, it was a little over an hour or maybe like an hour twenty. But it was like a slow burn on uh, on what was you know they're giving you information and it was just a fantastic episode but i think between that one and last week's episode it made this episode since they kind of brought everybody together or telling all their stories at the same time it felt like this episode went by super fast but at the same time uh it was a super good episode as well like they're giving us so much stuff that i was wanting so much more but um when it got to the end i was like oh i thought this still had 15 minutes left or something you know so yeah so much going on so much to take in and, and again so many answers to some to some of our questions and uh it, it it left me feeling so satisfied i wasn't empty and again i think i again i think it's because of what you said was that we got to see all these characters and storylines we love we didn't have to wait a whole nother week yeah so yeah really really great episode and what a great way to end it too because everybody like you said, we've been wondering if we're going to see him again or, yeah. or if he's just going to be yeah. voiceovers. And we know he's still very much a part of the show because it's his game and, and he's had voiceovers through through miscellaneous hosts throughout uh, Man in Black's journey. But to see him sitting there, regardless of it being a simulation, it's going to be so much more to come. I can't wait. Yeah, and this is how you do a cliffhanger. I mean, this was yeah, for sure. the ultimate Fordshire, even Fordshire. <laughs> but uh, okay, well, let's let's move on because we have a lot of great listener discussion. Uh, I know that you know we've already gone about an hour and a half just talking about this, and I want to make sure that we have time for everyone's reactions. Uh, thank you to everybody who has uh, listened and, of course, tweeted and sent us messages and everything. We always love getting your feedback. So I posted about uh, the the episode yesterday, right when it aired, and so we got some feedback uh, right off the back, just some reactions. So this one comes from Film Cricket at Real Film Cricket. Um, I said, "What did you think of this episode?" He said, "Groovy. I like the way the show made me feel real empathy for Dolores at first, and now I don't really care what happens to her as she is clearly on the sociopath program. <laughs> Whereas Maeve is now becoming more human. Plus, is Anthony Hopkins really back, or is it visual effects?" I, I think that's a reaction just like we had. Uh, we've talked about it every episode. Don't need to go back into it. But like Dolores, we loved her last season. This season, uh, I mean, we love Dolores, but Wyatt is a character that we're just like. You know, go away. We we can't get behind her uh, her agenda, and we really hope Dolores comes back for good. So, uh, and then the question is: Anthony Hopkins really back, or is it visual effects? This is the same question I had. We saw him in a reflection, which is a clever trick to not show him. You know, to have him there. It was a, it was a behind the shoulder scene too. So, like 
you never saw his his real face, but you saw it, it panned up from his foot to the back of his head and then saw it as a reflection. So that's a really good question. I didn't even think about it being uh, being special effects. Well, yeah, and so I, I, I agree. I don't think it's really him. I do think this was special effects. So the question is, is Anthony Hopkins in the flesh going to come back and, and talk? But then again, you also have this perfect uh, deus ex machina, if you will, that this is a simulation, right? So in a simulation, you can put all sorts of stuff in. And if it doesn't seem perfect, uh, you know, you can always kind of give it a little bit of an excuse, kind of like Ready Player One, where uh, Ready Player One is not, you know, you wouldn't consider it an animated film, but what, probably 85% of the movie is CG? So yeah. even though it's lifelike, it's like it is a simulation, so to speak, in the world that they've built. So my question, just like Film Cricket's question here is, you know, are we going to see an actual four? Did they maybe film this or create this scene at the beginning of filming and maybe with his schedule, they couldn't get him. So they did the whole reflection thing, which, again, I think was a very clever shot. Uh, yeah. But maybe next episode we'll see him. Or are we going to do the young Ford thing where like in all the flashbacks, when we see young Ford with Arnold, it's like you see him really quickly running by or you see the back of his head. Like in the first episode of this season, when they're in the real world, you see like a blurry figure, clearly Ford talking to Arnold, but like you don't ever see him up close. And of course, he's young, too. So they they do that all CG. Um, so, yeah, I I don't know that we're going to see him. I hope we do, though, because he was such too. an such an amazing part of last season and and i love getting little glimpses and audio clips from him but man if we see him face to face with bernard like i think that would be incredible yeah i'm looking forward to it i think that's the question in everyone's mind right now so hopefully we find out more next episode going back to uh some of the other listener questions and the discussion here from germain who's at dumb smoke trees on twitter he asks do you think dr ford perfected the host human hybrid the triple h we talked about earlier and one of the first gen host human hybrids is man in black's daughter grace who we know now is actually emily they have dna potentially from her visits to the raj's quote-unquote pleasure palace I think that's a really good catch. Yeah. I think Jermaine really caught something there, which was smart because uh, it seems like a throwaway line. Again, when we talked about it, it's like, oh, she's making her dad feel uncomfortable. You know, I, I love going to the Raj. Now I'm old enough to visit the pleasure palaces. Like, you know, cringe. No dad wants to hear that. <laughs> but are they telling you that? Because we know that from the past episodes this season, Delos is collecting host ex- or guest experiences and DNA. Yeah. And we know now that, uh, or at least we're speculating based on what we've heard and look at films like future world where the whole point of that is to collect the guest dna and create replacements for them um i think that's exactly what delos their ultimate goal is when Teresa says that this place is one thing to the guests and another thing to the shareholders i think this is exactly what they're hinting at here is that yes they're using this guest dna and experiences and uh, it may be more maniacal than than we even think at first like they're not just trying to sell their data like marketing data i wonder if they are actually trying to replace people and and go come into uh power and and whether it's government politics uh companies uh that that control a lot of things so yeah we'll have to see but this would definitely lead us more to believe that maybe this uh Emily that we see is a host or at least a hybrid. And what if she is trying to uh, help the man in black William along on his fidelity test? So is William still, we brought it up last episode and before 
is William Man in Black really Man in Black, or is he a host going through the Fidelity baseline? Yeah, I, there's so many doors. Every time that we we go down, you know, the rabbit hole on these, like I want to, I want to think there's something, something there that's gonna. I mean, that that's a great point that that Jermaine made about about the DNA, and it gets me, you know, leaning back toward the fact that they they could do that. But like I've had it in my mind for four episodes now that she she is a human. But you know, right. I I just I keep saying I won't be surprised if if they pull that out of their hat and 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 throw that at us eventually. Yeah. So great catch, Jermaine. Uh, going back to the discussion on Twitter. So uh, Matt Neglia, uh, he is at Next Best Picture. So friend of the show. Uh, he he has a podcast of his own uh, where he reviews the latest movies and also the website Next Best Picture, where a lot of great articles, reviews, lists, uh, you name it. So go definitely check out. Yeah, he's a great follow. Yeah, I, f- I found him through through your Twitter feed and. Uh, some of your retweets and during Oscar season and all throughout the year. Like I, I love seeing the stuff that he posts. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, follow Matt and uh, definitely follow uh, the next best picture website. But Matt asks, whose consciousness do you think Bernard has in his pocket? So this of course goes back to the red ball that we talked about earlier in the episode. Um, I, without a doubt, in my mind, 100% that red ball is Ford's consciousness. Ford was controlling Bernard, the host in that scene. I don't, just like uh, Ford controlled Bernard to kill Teresa, to attack uh, Elsie, I think that Ford controlled Bernard and had him kill those workers, kill those hosts, uh, create his consciousness. So he was in control of creating his own consciousness. Yep. And ultimately, Bernard is going to implant that into the cradle system, cradle. Which, yep. which we saw this season. So um, again, we're not 100% proven, but I think with everything we've seen, that's definitely where I'm I'm going full full theory on. Yep, I'm taking that path with you. Chat on TV, of course, friends of the show, and uh, Roger Roper himself, who uh, was on this podcast for the Mr. Robot episodes that we did last. Chat on TV uh, shows a GIF of uh, Ford and Teresa sitting at the table when the waiter was pouring that wine, and Ford was able to flip his finger and and stop the host in his tracks. Um, I'm guessing that that was alluding to the consciousness of Ford. I did joke with him and said, "Oh, so the waiter is whose consciousness." Is it was it's all about that waiter but uh, i believe shad on tv and roger are trying to say that's ford so i will definitely go with that jez bell another one of our uh, westworld deep dive friends who you know follow her on twitter at jezzy it's j-e-z-z-i-e underscore bell uh she's very active as well on the shad on tv podcast she says williams so that was one that i hadn't thought about um I mean, at first, I think I did, uh, you know, one of my tinfoil hat theories was maybe Abernathy is carrying the consciousness of William. Uh, and if, if Man in Black is indeed going on this uh, baseline test uh, for fidelity, obviously he has a consciousness and someone had to create it or smuggle it out. So, uh, I mean, this would line up with that theory. Although I think the fact that we saw Ford at the end of this episode in the cradle simulation, that's what told me that this red ball was him because Bernard even says I've been here or I brought someone here before. So uh, I won't eliminate that, but I think if William is a host, I think William's consciousness was either created or transferred elsewhere. I don't think it's that red ball, but Brad, do you, do you agree or do you have any other thoughts on that? Uh, Not really uh, about the other thoughts. I, um, I, I just I, I don't know when it comes to William um, with the with the idea that there are simulations and stuff and and William being behind the the uh, consciousness you know fidelity tests and stuff with with Delos he he's well aware of what they're capable of doing and what they're not capable of doing we don't know if, if he knows because Jermaine's question was about this uh, Ford perfect what 
um, perfect that hybrid. But does William know that it's been perfected even? And well, right. For- whenever we get together and, and talk about these, like my head just starts racing with all these ideas of what could happen. But I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, let's let's step it back and let's think about the facts again. Let's go even back further to uh, a couple episodes ago when we saw William and Jim Delos. Yeah. So we know that after 149 trials, 149 Jim Deloses, 149 goldfishes, 149 designer lamps and record sets. They did those over and over and over again. And the current Man in Black, at least Man in Black from a week or so ago, whenever he went into Westworld and went on this crazy journey, like it's the current timeline basically that Man in Black has left Jim Delos. He decided not to torch the room, let him, right. you know, okay. let him degrade, let's monitor it. But as of this point, that William Man in Black does not believe that they have solved the human hybrid host consciousness equation right so so in his mind there's no way that he has captured his own consciousness or created his own consciousness because he doesn't think they've even perfected it yet at least that's my belief or understanding that makes sense so if william man in black is a host or is a hybrid host that means someone else did it without his knowing as in during the party during the gala and the massacre that would mean that when we don't see William and William is shot and injured or whatever, and maybe he gets knocked out or something, uh, and then he reawakens in this season, that means that he would have had to have been replaced, right? So either captured and abducted or killed and then replaced with a host. Um, for that to happen, it would it would be going on without his knowledge. I am very... I'm very skeptical of that. Um, right. It's it's another crazy tinfoil theory, which I think would be mind-blowing. But on the other hand, would it also undermine his journey and him being human and being reunited with his family and, you know, starting at the end and working yourself back and, 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 and solving Ford's game. Um, it would certainly establish his baseline and his fidelity test, but, but I don't know, would that cheapen it, the human connection that we have to William man in black? Would it cheapen that? So yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm very torn down the middle with that. But but again, I think that's what tells us if he is a host, that means he doesn't know it. So yeah. it's without his knowledge. And Ford, who obviously Ford has perfected at least the whole consciousness you know, capturing thing, uh, that would mean he would have had to have, based on his experience and his DNA, created a William host without his knowledge. So I don't know. We'll have to see. <laughs> Such a wild ride. But the clues do line up. But then on the other hand, we already got the Bernard is a host reveal from last season are they really going to do that to us again i just don't know if i don't know if they could the next season over do another you know this person we think is real as a host i think that it might be a little bit like oh every season are we going to get a this is really a host uh, reveal right so it wouldn't be as impactful as it was the first time around yeah i guess it depends on who it is but still yeah. uh, it's a gut instinct again i mean some of the uh the evidence does line up but just my gut tells me like ah, i don't think they'll do that to us again with william but uh it very well could be so we'll definitely have to see uh there's no telling uh and and with this show as we said before anything's possible so i definitely won't count it out I think that does it for listener questions. Uh, thank you, Jez, again for that. And uh, make sure to uh, follow and interact with some of these people. These are uh, a few of the really big Westworld fans, uh, just a sampling of them that we interact with. But these are the people that are in it just like we are, that love to theorize, love to deep dive and and come up with the crazy theories. So uh, a lot of good stuff from them. And uh, we, again, appreciate all the feedback. Uh, I don't think we have anything in the listener email uh, bag today, so we'll close it up. And uh, I think that does it for this episode. Again. 
a fantastic episode. Uh, I am really excited for this back half of the season. Uh, I think it's going to be crazy. I think we're going to get a lot of huge reveals. It's already been insane just with this one of the last five episodes. Uh, really looking forward to next week. Yeah, me too. Can't wait. So that does it for now. Uh, again, follow us at all the spoilers on Twitter. You can find me at Kevin R. Brackett on Twitter. Brad, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Heineken, H-E-Y-E-N-I-K-I-N. Okay. And of course, uh, you can find us on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash real spoilers. Of course, listen to our sister podcast, Real Spoilers, where we tackle the biggest movie of the week. This week, uh, we just did the Deadpool 2 podcast. So go listen to that. And coming up next week, we've got uh, Solo. A Star Wars story is the big movie of the week. So I'm looking forward to hearing what everyone's thoughts are on that because it is quite the polarizing film. It sure is. So that does it for this episode. So we hope you've enjoyed it and uh, can't wait to talk to everyone next week. Take care. See you later.